0: podcast is part of the Sports Social podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. The podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game with co-hosts me, Russell Guyver and Peter Marsh. Hey Russ. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, yes. We're doing a later in the week one this week because there's plenty to pack in. We wanted to do a bit of a preview of Liverpool, so we've got Neil Atkinson uh, joining in a little bit later on. Uh, but to start off with, um, we're going to go through, well, the, the earlier part of... Uh, of what we've not covered since last time, which is, of course, the Leicester game. Um, we didn't get the win that we wanted, which would have taken us above Spurs on goal difference with games in hand still. Um And they have since won, which hmm, probably helped, actually, because they beat Fulham. And realistically, would we catch Tottenham? I do know, maybe, maybe. Yeah, they're
0: not playing very well, frankly. Yeah, it's
1: possible, it's possible. But we what might we have if
0: is- Liverpool and Chelsea have a good run. We might have to catch Spurs.
1: Yeah, that's true. What we what we did need to do was to get a win at Leicester because we were, I think, bossing it by the looks of it from what I saw and heard. Um, but we came away with a 2 all draw in the end. I wasn't there. I watched the extended highlights and I listened to the commentary at the time. Uh, Warren Aspinall was very animated. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it's, he's the most. Um, it was a bit misleading. Some of the stuff he was saying, put it that way. Um, however, you know, you've got to love him. But the person to speak to really about this is you because you were at the game um, yeah. and you've got plenty to say on the matter, haven't you? Peter I'm, really
0: you? Chilled, Phyllis. I'm still like pretty relaxed on a Friday, you know, I don't yeah. I, I wasn't really that bothered.
1: This is know? why we haven't recorded till Friday, because we thought you'd be too angry. <laughs> no, it's not it's not all about anger, but there's lots of positives of course from the weekend game. Tell us about it. How was it?
0: Yeah, it was <laughs> One of those games, you come away thinking, did we gain a point or lose two, really? It was obviously the fact we got an equaliser in the, basically the last minute of the, of normal time. You kind of tend to say it's a point game. But given the way we dominated the second half, I mean, they barely got out of their half. Hmm. Really should have won won the game. Um, yeah, it, we were denied a blatant penalty at one all. We were, we missed, a, well, March missed, a, not a sitter, but he slipped a bit, but still should have scored at one all. Uh, we took the lead and looked comfortable and then conceded a pretty sloppy goal. Yeah, it was one of those games where we, in the way we've been playing recently, you would think we could have put it to bed, but we never did. And, and Leicester obviously gained confidence from that and got the goal back. And yeah, I mean, their goal was second half and the against the run of players, you can think. I mean, they didn't really leave their half. They basically played 11 men behind the ball. So the point where match today was showing a clip of their, even their striker being so deep. And that was part of their problem. They couldn't get out of their half because... Even the striker were first of all Vardy, and then Daka couldn't actually was actually so deep in their half that they didn't have anyone up front to aim to to try and like you know kind of end the you know break up the play.
1: Yeah, so, which, yeah I they, know they're a shadow of their former selves, but ironically that is that was their modus operandi when they yeah. won the league. Title.
0: I've never seen a team at home in the Premier League sit that deep, and even when winning, and they were doing it. at one all in the second half. Yeah. So. And it was a I bit suppose. of a classical first minute and a half or two minutes. We almost had the ball for two minutes in the first, like, from kickoff. And they just were trying to, like, sit off and not let us kind of, like, not try to attack our players. We just kept passing it back and forward. And we had the ball for the first, like, minute and 55 seconds without leaving our half, hardly. <laughs> and then lost it.
1: It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I suppose it's symptomatic of where we're at now and also where Leicester are at, actually, and where Villa were at at the time when we played Villa, although they've, improved a bit since and gone up a few places. Um, these sort of teams, these these supposedly well-known names, uh, established clubs in the Premier League who are um, effectively deferring to our style of football and they're negating what we're doing rather than trying to do their own game, which is amazing. Um, it's a compliment, but it's also an irritation, isn't it? Especially when we seem to consistently fail to get the number of points and the number of goals that we should do against sides like that, it's, it, it makes for a bit of a worry. We won't get too far ahead of ourselves, but the games coming up are the sort of games where yeah. we might have further well, frustrations along similar lines.
0: Our 10 home games are like that, basically, against teams. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think Fulham or Brentford will do that, particularly because that's not in their style, but certainly six and 10 are teams, you know, a bit below us. And we, yeah. you know...
1: We uh, with Leicester... No, I know, I know Leicester, as I said, their MO was, was counter-attacking football uh, in some respects when they won the title but, and um, what they've done since. But um, but actually, they are quite an attacking team as well. And um, they seem to have lost their mojo. They were the sort of team that we would have benefited from playing 1-2 yeah. before. um, And from what you've said, it seems like that is very much not the case now. Um,
0: well, I mean, I mean, they may not be different normally, but certainly against us, they... So... They sat back and didn't offer anything second half. First half was a bit more even, actually. I'd say both teams scored in t- at a period when they were slightly off, slightly less effective. Brighton, we weren't having a great spell when Matoma scored out of pretty much nothing. And then yeah. their goal came when we were we were looking in quite good control of the game and it was a bit of a break. So both teams scored maybe on the other side was a bit on in the attendancy. Um But second half, yeah, I mean, they barely left their half. They had those two. And they had a, the, the free kick at the end from Madison, which had never been a free kick anyway, and um, certainly Casado was clearly fouled in the build-up and would have been the Elson not kind of kicking the teeth from an appalling referee. If we'd we'd. Uh,
1: Didn't we? Um, wasn't there something to do with a, a goal kick that should have been a corner as well, leading to one of the goals?
0: I, I hadn't noticed that one to be honest at the time, but yeah, someone I've so seen that they, in the build-up to their, yeah. their their first or whatever, yeah or their second. Was it one of them anyway?
1: Yeah, well, we'll, we'll go through it goal by goal in a moment, but um, one thing really to mention is um, in terms of the um, the lineups, we had Danny Welbeck started, didn't he, for this one, and Evan Ferguson was on the bench. Now, my, my thing about the way teams sit deep and have a low block and are really hard to break down is that Evan Ferguson seems to be a potential partial, at least... Solution to that because he's got it all in terms of he he can ruffle feathers and shake things up in a tighter defensive area, intelligent movements, um, physicality, being good, facing or backing away from goal, uh, facing away from goal. Seems like he would have been ideal for this. Maybe we didn't anticipate they'd be so defensive. I don't know. But um, was it a bit of a misstep by Roberto to not start him in this game? I think
0: think he needs to kind of not play him all the time. I think he needs to be kind of of, played sometimes from the start, sometimes from the bench. And and I think it was a game where I think Welbeck would have been pretty well. I mean, Welbeck should have won a penalty, it has to be remembered. If it hadn't been for a dreadful refereeing and VAR decision, he'd have won a penalty. He, you and know, he worked man. really hard. He, he, he worked think... hard and I d I don't think Welbeck did much wrong. Ferguson might not have been so effective if he started and you know, whereas actually you know Wellbeck had just scored against Liverpool as well. I I don't think it's particularly it was it was a mistake. I think it was the right thing. Walking to the ground I thought that might happen and was pleased it did. Um and yeah, Ferguson's still a decent sub to bring on, so hmm
1: and we're going to talk about him a lot more uh, a little bit later on uh, absolutely um, no it's just more of a poser of a question really than a, a criticism I think, they've, I think. Got to,
0: they've got to mix it up for him a little bit they can't he can't yeah. start every game straight away at, and I know people will say well you know people like Rudy did that sort of thing but you know it, it's you have to kind of you know you don't want to end up with him you know kind of being you know in a year's time being completely shat, you know broken by playing every game from the start and being in there I think mm. it's the right decision and I think they're they will then kind of look at, you know, maybe he'll start Sunday and, yeah, well, back against Bournemouth, maybe like that. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a good option. And it's good that we've got the option of bringing someone on either either one of them off the bench now.
1: Yeah. Well, let, let's say this chronologically. You mentioned about being difficult to break down Leicester. Well, it sounded like it was a little bit difficult getting into the ground as well, Peter. Rant number one. Back <laughs> to you, sir. Um, it's, it's, not really, to...
0: it's not really a rant, but it was a quite entertaining uh, security <laughs> at Leicester. They had... I mean, even at quarter past two, when, for twenty past two, when we got in there, was quite a long queue and it wasn't moving at all. And it's because basically they were searching everyone's pockets. They, they ever, everyone had to empty their pockets, like at an airport. And yeah, my dad had to, had to have to take his hat off to check there wasn't any, a lot of people were as well to so check there wasn't anything, sort of weapons or something or drugs in there. I don't know. I've no it's, idea what they were looking for. Not but ironically, they didn't search my bag, weirdly. Just, It was like, yeah, they, they searched like all my, all my pockets, everything like that. Under I your fingernails. <laughs> you got in trouble if you didn't take everything out of pockets. But yeah, they didn't search my bag. And there was a, there was a head steward there who was decidedly pissed off and grumpy. <laughs> and he definitely was not like going on customer service calls.
1: I love the idea that they're checking your fingernails and and seeing what you've got hidden behind a a bit of fluff in your pocket or whatever, but they're not checking the bag. I know it would be the whole thing. They were checking bags, they just happened to miss
0: mine. I didn't point it out to them as well, and they just ignored me.
1: They were determined not to check you, Peter. You were clearly angelically innocent, aren't you?
0: they probably took the view if I was offering a chance for them to search it, they probably didn't have anything in it. But you know, next time I'll take my nuclear warheads in, you know.
1: So let, let's look at it then, goal by goal. So um, obviously started well in terms of um, we got the, the first goal. Um, I think we started quite brightly in general, didn't we? I think Leicester were, were on the front foot, but in terms of the overall um, balance of uh, key chances and everything else, we we'd started well, and it was a great goal as well from Mittener, wasn't it? Which uh, top corner, his classic cutting inside. The, the beauty of him is. He's dangerous either way around. If you, if you let him go down the line, he can do something from there. If you let him inside, he'll cut inside and do a Mares style goal from the opposite side to where Mares normally plays. Uh, it, very similar, actually. I think there's a lot of similarities with the, the way those two players play from their respective sides of the pitch. Um, and it was a beautiful finish, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, credit also to stupido not, not just for his pass to the ball, but also the run he made as well. He because he's really good at that now. He's kind of like, a few times he's made runs where they distracted the defence and got on the overlap, and Mitoma the Mitoma again can then touch inside. And yeah, I mean, he didn't have anyone near him, but there's still a lot of work to do to put that finish in the top corner. And yeah, I mean, Leicester, the War didn't stand any chance. Yeah, it was a brilliant goal. And then, yeah, ironically, it went pretty much downhill from there because Lalana goes down.
1: Yeah, we had four blows in a row, didn't we? But Lalana went down injured, and he has been quite instrumental and influential. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I
0: genuinely think we're. And I, and, I, and I think they play Grosh at right back because they want Lalana in there as well. Yeah. Um, and they want they can't drop McAllister or Casada. They can't drop March or Mitoma. But they've got to have. They want to have both Grosh and Lalana, and that's why Grosh has been moved to right back because they want to fit all these players in. And obviously you've got a striker as well. So in order to do that, you have to play arguably your best attacking midfielder at at right back. And mm. um, yeah, and it, he he was a real miss. And it didn't help that Veltman had arguably about his weakest game in an Albion shirt, he was really he struggled a bit, which will actually come on to the second, their second goal as well, because he yeah. missed himself a bit to their first goal, um, and that was where they got in down the wing, and from there, we were always a bit diving in and desperate, but he was the one he, he didn't back off, he didn't intercept, he kind of just kind of just pushed himself a little bit too far forward, and the guy got in behind him, and then Dick Barnes got in behind him, and then from there, we were, it was like people throwing themselves at the ball desperately, and it just happened to land for their player and may have been a penalty in the end. It's hard to tell, but there was like definitely
1: ground yeah, line shall we say. I reckon, um, well, two things to say. I think we had four blows in a row because I think we had Milana going off injured, the two goals which were avoidable from a defensive point of view, and in between which we had the penalty incident, which we'll talk about in a minute. In terms of that um that first Leicester goal, yeah, I, three moments where we could have cleared it. I think the first one, I do think... That we probably well with a proper and reasonable balanced refereeing decision we would have probably got away with that because I think it bounced off a part of his body I couldn't quite work out where somewhere in his upper leg I think onto his arm and his arm was in a natural position in terms of he was sliding so his arm would be out so he might have got away with that side of it possibly but who knows but yeah we didn't quite clear it after that I mean for the
0: moment Beltman had committed himself we had we were a man down at the back and that was where the, the goal. I mean, it's very unlike Beltman. I mean, I'm not going to berate him. He's had so few bad, what I would say, poor games since. Mm. since he, but he he came on, and I thought, well, uh, my dad and I was just a rapid reaction was, "Oh, like, that's fine. Bruce better forward. We'll Miss Lallana, but actually, Beltman slots in. That's no problem." But he really struggled. I thought, right back, actually, and yeah, it was I would say was probably the main fault for the first goal because everything else after that was a bit desperate and a bit kind of like throwing yourself at the ball.
1: Yeah, and yeah, it's just one of those days, wasn't it? Um. Of course, it's all Brighton scores because it's too ironic a name not for him to get involved in major statistical uh, factors of this match. Um, he'd just come on as well, hadn't he? Because, of course, yeah. we had this weird thing when we'd scored our goal. Um, I think Mitema or somebody inadvertently minorly injured um, Caicedo during the goal celebration. Caicedo was fine. But then, of course, Lallana went down injured at the same time pretty much as well. And then Leicester had a player injured as well, so it was all a bit bizarre. Um, so all Brighton had only been on for I think ten minutes or something like that, had me when that equaliser then subsequently went in. Um, so that was a bit frustrating because it's a player that wouldn't have been on the pitch had it not been for circ- other circumstance, and would he have would, would whoever was on the pitch in his place have hit it the that same? Neil
0: Bright right, or have
1: you pronounced his name? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so that was that. Then of course. Um, Leicester did go on to go 2 1 up with another defendable goal, really. But we could have been the team to go 2 1 up, and we should have been the team at least to be a penalty kick away from going 2 1 up. And with McAllister on his recent form in terms of penalties and with our general form, you feel like he would have, he's in the zone at the moment, isn't he? And you would have felt he would have buried it if he'd have taken a penalty.
0: I've watched this incident over and over again throughout the week, and I, Cannot for the life of me understand how Lee Mason managed to not give it or not send um, the referee who was the referee who was generally dreadful anyway. will come into that. I mean, and he's been he was dreadful at Charleston as well, and he missed a penalty. for us at Fulham, apparently. He's into a VAR. So is he it, Bram like Hall. Is it Bram Hall? Thomas bramhall and That's he was fair. he was dreadful. I mean, Leicester didn't have a booking all game, and yet they're constant fouling. Bardi had about four or five fouls. Montel well, had like three or four fouls. And no, no booking at all. And then he books with hannister at the end for when he should have given the free kick for us for Casado being fouled anyway. Hmm. He was just, I mean, he was dreadful. And, yeah, it, it was, yeah, symptomatic that he'd missed the penalty. But it was, I can almost understand how he missed it, although I don't think he should have done. What is annoying is that Lee Mason did, did not look. I mean, that match today zoomed in a bit and you clearly see Welbeck pushes the ball past the player and gets caught on the foot. I don't, VAR must have that view. They must be able to do
1: that. Yeah, there were there were. Look at the TV. There were three views that were given. Um, the first two were fairly inconclusive, although you can strongly suspect that the foul was it a foul. still a penalty
0: in the first two. But...
1: Looking, yeah, the third one. There, there's one one particular. Well, second angle does does look pretty obvious. The third angle that was shown, which presumably the referee did see, uh, or sorry, the, the VAR did see. Um, shows it very clearly. A yeah. case of the the, the defender put, steps forwards past where Welbeck's foot is, no contact with the ball, and his other foot then swings in and makes very clear and obvious contact. Yeah. And that's the thing. It is
0: effective. clear and obvious. <laughs> yeah. It really was. And So the only logical thing you can think about why Lee Mason didn't give that it's because he hates Brighton
1: because of what happened in that West Brom game. there's no, the there, there no other
0: reason how a referee can miss that on VAR. It Do you know what? Decision and...
1: Do you know what? Lee Mason's career ended with that West Brom game, and rightly yeah. so, because he made a mess, regardless of whether it's right decisions or wrong decisions, he made a mess I mean, of yeah, the scenario. It and t- he did get the wrong decision because I, I'm still to this day saying that that ball, I, I, I'm not convinced that, that ball hadn't crossed the oh. line when the whistle was blown you hear the audio but the audio doesn't necessarily match the video to start with and secondly it looked like it was split second yeah at the very least so the the, the goal was already going to be scored at the point when the whistle went the goalkeeper would not have saved it and he'd given the go-ahead for that free kick to be yeah. taken so on that basis Lee Mason's career might be over because of in terms of on field refereeing because of that Incident. I don't know if that was the only factor or not, but if it is, or if it is, recovered
0: pretty quickly after that, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that's not not down to Brighton. That's down to no, hmm, Lee Mason. <laughs> you know why has he got a grudge with us? He's the one that screwed up. Two he our appears, to, appears to have.
0: To I can't, our as well. The life of me understand other than that, other than having a grudge against us. Why he would
1: not yeah. send that back? Do. It I'm, was I'm, such a late penalty. I'm calling him out on it, Peter. He, he He must have done it through biased reasons if, yeah. he, if he disagrees with that and he 's listening to the podcast as i 'm sure every referee does on a friday evening or whenever, whenever we release it I'm to, what what possible argument could he have to say it was anything other than a grudge because, that's all I can think that 's the first thing I yeah. thought of because he's Made, he, he's not seen something obvious. Yeah. Everyone else, I know, Lineker made a slight tongue-in-cheek joke. Oh, that what, that was in debate, but yeah, you know, it was. then, even then he admitted
0: it was a penalty. I mean, yeah. I've seen yeah. Leicester fans admitting of the penalty, and their justification being what happened last season at the Amex when they got the allowed, But none of them have said it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's literally like everyone on reflection. I mean, seen the replay, and if it had been a live game where the referee had missed it, I'd have been like, well, he was poor anyway, but. You know, fair enough. But with VAR, you've got no excuse for missing that. It was an absolutely clear and obvious error. The referee obviously thought that he got the ball or thought he didn't touch Welbeck. Which, Mm. I mean, why Welbeck would have gone down? I mean, he had the ball and he was going past the defender. I don't understand why he'd have gone down. Otherwise, but yeah. and he even got the decision wrong for a corner. He gave a corner despite the fact that March kicked it against Welbeck, which
1: was <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, we should have had a corner, that's that's for sure. That's the one decision that shouldn't have been given. I I think we're, at one point, I think we're probably going to get Raymond the Gent on to to talk about his thoughts on refereeing and um laws and what, what should be done and shouldn't be done. I think we might do a little bit of a chat on that, maybe where there's an international break or something else. I'm not sure, but um, essentially, um I think you have to wonder what's going on there, what's going on with the decisions, why, and what's the accountability as well. Lee Lee Mason has has, um, not flagged that up to the referee. Um, One of the proposals that might be discussed on said future podcast, and it's it's probably been discussed in general, is about accountability from refereeing decisions. Should they be made to speak at some point over the weekend afterwards. Now I'd be really interested to know what Bramhall would have said in the aftermath of that game, whenever that might be whether it's in the heat of the moment or two days later or whatever else what would he have said about that? I I guess he would have said, if he could see it was obvious, he would have said but he couldn't see it from his angle, which would be probably a a cop-out if that wasn't true, but it would also be potentially an understandable answer.
0: uh, I think think we should I think the clear and obvious thing needs to be scrapped. It's laughable. We've had so many decisions this year. You know, the whole... I mean, how on earth that Rashford wasn't clearly and obviously offside in that goal against City? How is it that Maguire wasn't off, clearly and obviously offside and interfering with play against us when they scored their goal? How was it not a clear and obvious error by when Welbeck was shoved in the back by master's at like Old Trafford?
1: The Southampton the Anthony, so so like weekend. Saints game as well, the weekend. Yeah. Was something, oh, yeah. And it?
0: Villa home. How was that not a clear and obvious yeah. error? Yeah. He, March, poked the, got in ahead of, um, Dean and kept, poked the ball past him. So they need to scrap this, basically, get rid of it, ditch it, and they need to have like a more kind of, a lower level of kind of thing. So the referee is making a decision, and then, they, and then referees then don't have to t- overturn it. If they go and see it, if Bramwell then goes back and it, looks at it and goes like, fair enough, I've got it right, it's wrong, but if he did, then that's up to him, and he'll take the stick for it. But, I mean, the simple fact is that Deservius, had a go at the referee and there's no sign he's been punished yet as far as I can see which so tells you everything you need to know really I mean yeah the official... he
1: got a yellow card didn't he and also the, the assistant coach at Leicester who
0: yeah but he hasn't, he hasn't been like you know for what he said after the match he's not been you know as far as I know he's not been oh, yeah. charged with Which thing yeah. which says everything you need to know I mean the the um yeah the referee at the time lost control really I mean there was all sorts of arguments and
1: my, my thing with this is, what, what bugs me about this, uh, the whole thing about referees' accountability should they talk afterwards, someone might have an argument, to quite an understandable argument, to say the contrary, say, no, they're, they're, it's too awkward and they haven't been assessed yet and there's got to be some period of reflection or whatever else they might say. OK, fair enough. But why does De Zerby have to do an interview post-match, assuming that he's not been... Uh, signed off with COVID or, or already suspended. He, it's his responsibility post-match to then appear and explain things when, even if it's an hour or two later, it's still pretty damn emotive. And he's going to be accountable for what he, his reactions are on the touchline and for what his reactions are in the post-match interview. And yet, apparently, it seems uh, inappropriate for referees to to be accountable and to say what they think about games afterwards. But all of these decisions, if De says something out of turn, through his passion, through his, his moment, moment of weakness, as they might say it, it could be of, of saying what he really thinks when he's supposed to be diplomatic, there are going to be consequences for that. He could get fines, monetary consequences. He could have a ban from the touchline, or he could have um, a suspended sentence where he's then carrying something into another another game in terms of what consequences may occur. He's accountable yeah. during and after the game. Why aren't the referees, if, if they're not going to be accountable, why should Deservey or anyone else have to be interviewed? They, they should have yeah. the option, in my opinion, if the referees are not going to be interviewed.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there's a lot, the situation is a little bit getting a bit irritating now because a lot's made of VAR and stuff. But actually, it's not VAR Fools. It's Lee mm-hmm. Mason's fault. It's the fact that it's the same incompetent arseholes who who were incompetent before are then running VAR as well. I think yeah. there should be separate VAR officials. Not, I mean, people say ex players, I don't think it should be ex players, but mm-hmm. I think the skills to be a VAR official are probably quite a lot different to the skills of being a referee. You know, they you don't need the fitness for starters. You don't need to be fit enough to run up and down the pitch and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be, you know, kind of. So, basically, all you have to do is look at a screen and decide the rules. I think they should be training new separate VAR officials who actually
1: are just VAR officials. Specialists, yeah. Why not? Yeah, exactly. It, the isolation between the two bodies, you know, the, the referees, uh, PGMOL, whatever, and these VAR guys, they could be under the PGMOL umbrella, but they should be completely in isolation. So they don't have a counter- accountability. like you know, a young referee trying to
0: overrule a senior referee and stuff like that. It's like, you know, when someone like Michael Oliver's referee and you must be a bit of pressure from some young referee looking at VAR and trying to second guess their decision because, you know, it's like, well, what do I know? I've been in Premier League for two seasons and he's been like in the World Cups. He's been like here and there. I mean, even if Michael Oliver's not like that, which I'm not saying he is, but you know, kind of, it must mentally be like that for them and it must be tough. And yeah, I, I think they should be scrapping using professional referees as, as PGM, uh, monitors and VAR. And PGM, by the way, are terrible. I mean, what's the bloody point of them? They just there to protect referees who don't, a lot of the time don't deserve it.
1: it it's an old boys club, isn't it? What, what irritates me is, and we, we've talked many times about Dermot Gallagher with the Ref Watch on Sky, which I haven't watched for weeks because it winds me up too much. But also you've got um, Klattenberg makes a mixture of comments, some of, some of which are pertinent and spot on, other, others yeah. are not. You've got Peter Walton, who seems like he's a nice guy, and yeah, and he's quite affable. Uh, so he's, he's got that TV personality element. But he he, he just doesn't make decisions or, or comments.
0: Yeah, ju- I could the agree with a man who gave a penalty to the Amsterdam from three yards outside the area. Exactly. So, you know, he, guys, the idea that he's a, you know, a judge of anyone when he was shit himself, is ironic. Yeah.
1: So again, it's this circle of referees. And yeah. I, I think those guys, whether they're working or whether they've retired, seem to still have, be in and of the same opinion which is that they they'll they'll decide what they want to decide rather than what they should decide. Yeah. So I'm I'm all in favour of a completely separate body to manage the VAR side of things. Yeah. I still believe that VAR VAR whatever you want to call it has a part to play potentially. I think it's on its last legs as far as the fans' toleration levels. I don't of, think
0: it'll go though. I don't see any way that they'll get it go. It won't go,
1: yeah, it won't go. And, and, it, and I think we need to modify it. Isn't VAR. I think we
0: a competent bloke in charge who wasn't like well, either anti-Brighton or basically blind at the weekend, hmm. VAR would have worked. It would yeah. have been literally seen as, as as what VAR was brought in for, what's to it. overrule that
1: decision. Keep it, but make it better. Make it how it's yeah. supposed to bloody be in the first place, which is to improve the ratio of good decisions. Yeah. yeah. Some is, work, somehow managed
0: to make it lower.
1: Which yeah.
0: Considering you're getting someone else watching it separately, it's quite yeah. impressive.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed. The one thing I do think is with this World Cup technology with the offside, rightly or wrongly, whatever the the flaws may be in that system. I do think something like that would be good in terms of um, just calling a spade a spade saying, right, this according to the graphic, this is right or wrong. And you haven't got any debatability about that. It's it's not subjective. It's objective according to the system they've imposed, because then you have got a by the book thing. Whether it's right or wrong. You've got it, it's it's just a clear dividing line. But that the question is that right? if
0: you do that, do you need linesmen? What do they actually offer? They never flag for free kicks. Quite mm-hmm. often they even flag for throw ins. You know, yeah. it's like so would you be better off with the all the goal line stuff being managed by I don't know technology that sort of thing having a referee in each half or something like that, you know, something having two two officials rather than three, having a referee in one half or every other half so they can keep up with play more effectively. And offside just solely managed by technology, and it just beeping referees like watch if it's
1: offside. There would be certain people against that motion, Uh people working as linesmen and lineswomen.
0: But I mean, what's the point that yeah. they never they never flag for much at all really? Free kicks. Yeah. Like, I mean that Villa game when 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 referee missed that blatant penalty on March. Trossard was then hurled to the ground right in front of the linesman. a follow up to that, and he gave a throw into Villa, and it was like. He's literally a yard away from you. What is the point of your existence if you can't? And he's
1: made two bad to? decisions in in.
0: Yeah. 20 seconds. So even if we didn't get the penalty, which he should have got, we should have had a free kick in a dangerous position. Instead, he goes and like gives the yeah, gives them a throw in, and it's just like, well, what is the purpose of your linesman if you're not supposed to do flag when the foul happens one yard away from you?
1: Yeah. Well, we could go I'm on about on this.
0: And hold on, he grudges or anything like that.
1: <laughs> we, we probably shouldn't go on about it anymore, but we could go on about it for hours. But the decision wasn't given. It was a, a bla- it, was, it was robbery, basically. We can't guarantee he would have scored the penalty, but I'm confident he probably would have done. So we didn't go too one he
0: deserved the chance anyway. I mean, even if, even if he missed it's it. He was We've
1: been robbed of the chance, yeah. exactly. And then if even if even um, even if he doesn't score... You wonder how that might change the game in general. You know, you never know. But the thing is, the game went on. Leicester scored another defendable goal. I I have to say Van Hecker was to blame here a little bit because I don't think he he, he was looking. I watched the replay of it when the ball was coming in. Um, Was it a corner? I think it was a corner, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Van Hecke is not focusing on his man behind him for the whole time now I don't want to call him out too much because I think he's a good prospect and I really hope he does well and I wish him the best of luck and I think it was good that we played him and he is improving and he's getting better but in that particular moment he needed to do at least one or two checks over his shoulder see where his man was because when the ball came in it came in at sort of waist height, chest height somewhere like that he took a, a vain swing at it didn't get contact with it and then was it Daka that got Barnes. the Oh Barnes, yeah, sorry, Barnes that got the connection and, and finished it off. But he had a clear run at the ball because Van Hecker was out of the equation. Now I, I I think it's inexperience, actually, to be honest, in this particular occasion. And I think he will learn from it. And I don't think it's a, a big issue to talk about too much. But it was a it was an avoidable goal, wasn't
0: it? So I mean I, I was in favour of playing Van Hecker over Webster at the weekend, mainly because we know what Webster can do. he often struggles when he comes back from injury. We need yeah. to I mean if we're not and I, I know we've got a great chance of a chance of Europe and we've got this and that if we're not going to try a player like Van Hecker in a winning team when we're you know, basically safe I mean we're not going to go down at the halfway point in the season. if we're not going to give them a run here when, when Colwell's out, then when are we going to do it?' not using him then because we haven't played him at all.
1: For for all of his um his his faults and I think there's a few of them uh, for a very successful manager Alex Ferguson would do that he would blood youngsters in game, yeah yeah you know, you know, add, add to the winning it, equation
0: exactly, one you know, one in a winning team and that sort of thing and I think he you know he on the whole he did okay he made one mistake in the first half when he came in and committed himself and they had two on one and should have done much better Barnes passed past Vardy behind him pretty much and he he stopped and then won in the second half with that and I. They're both, yeah, kind of positioning and, and knowledge. I also would say that leaving him one-on-one against one, one of their best players at the back post probably wasn't a good idea as well, generally. We shouldn't have... All, everyone obviously went one way and they left him isolated, which isn't the right thing to do with a young defender, I think. Mm. I would say yeah. that there's, a, there's an element of blame for everyone there. They didn't just... you know, it, it, They shouldn't have left him basically on his own at the back post with a, with a defender, with an attacker like yeah. Barnes.
1: That's true, that's true.
0: It's their responsibility all round. My mm. other concern was—I don't know if you remember—the remember build-up to that goal. There was a ball round the back, and Vardy got round the back, and eventually broke for a corner. And Villa did that as well. We do play such a high line that, tea, and we haven't got that much pace at the back. Mm. And it does—it is a slight concern that teams can turn us quite quickly. Both things, goals against Villa were like that—that that we were turned, and you know, people got in on the back, and dunked not go a penalty from that. And then also, I think the second goal was equivalent like that as well.
1: Mm. Do you think, think centre-back is the issue there? In terms of the pace?
0: I mean, on, a, on the face of it, it's only really a supernova who's got any sort of pace in the back line. Grosh, Sachs Veltman aren't that quick. Dunk's not that quick.
1: Obviously, Lampty is, but that's not, not playing. That
0: quick. Is it? So yeah. it is a slight, unless Lampty plays, we do lack pace generally at the back, which is a problem. And we do play a pretty high line, even more so under Deserby. We played it pretty high line get under Potter, but we played an even higher line under Deserby, especially when we're basically been, Leicester barely got out there half in uh, all game on Saturday. So, second half on Saturday. So, I mean, I think, I think there are concerns and there are issues. We're going to conceive more goals than a result, probably. Um, and it probably isn't the ideal time in a sense to bring Van Hecker in there because he'd have been more secure under Potter or under Hewton because we played a better a line and maybe it's more suited him. But he's got to learn. And I think you know, there, there were definitely enough signs that he had promise and he's a decent player. He won player of the year at Blackburn next it last year. He deserves a chance and I will give him a run. Yeah. We know what Webster can do. We know he'll probably will have a few games before he gets back. He probably won't get back to his best stealth until Colwell comes back pretty much. So why not give Van Hecker a chance and give him a go, play him and see what happens. And the worst happens, probably won't be in that much worse than Webster who struggles early when he comes back from injury. So, you know, give him a few games. Colwell struggled the first game or two, I thought, and then really got into it and looked brilliant to get to Liverpool, for example. So mm. he's our, and Van Hecker is our future, whereas like Colwell obviously isn't going to stay. So we need to kind of and if Van Hecke is half, he does half decently, I would stick him in the rest of the season. I wouldn't yeah. take, put Colwell back in because we've got a plan for the future. We can't just like keep, you know, we can't basically make Chelsea players better because everybody's annoying and,
1: and. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I, boringly, I agree with everything you just said. There's no contention here. I, I, I agree with you. We, we really don't do like. <laughs> we we don't like loans, do we? We 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 don't want to develop other players, as you said, unless there's some sort of potential for us to sign. Him, and it seems that Chelsea do rate him, despite having signed players to go ahead of him in the squad. Um, they do genuinely seem to want to keep hold of him. So on that basis, it's not a problem, really. You know, let's um, let's see. It, once everyone's fit, it'll be interesting to see who's picked. That's going to be the yeah. interesting thing. And it um, may
0: depend on whether we've dropped off a little bit with Colwell out, and we've not. We're maybe down in ninth or like that, and a bit away from the top seven, or if we're in the top seven. If we're in, if we're still in with a good chance of Europe, into like one or two competitions. I think probably that Colwell will play because yeah. we'll want to give it our best go and he is the best option. And he was brilliant that Liverpool game, for example, weeks ago. to go. But if we, if we maybe dropped a little bit off and you know we're, not, we're a bit out of touch, we might keep Van Hecker in for a bit longer. And
1: Yeah. Peter, we're, we're going to go on to talk about the glorious equaliser in a moment, but let's pause the Leicester review for a minute because I want to bring in some other aspects here, largely to do with... Roberto Di Zerbi. Um, first of all, something that we could have covered before and didn't, you may have seen it on one of the WhatsApp groups, um, the Charlton game, which we we all attended, um, where we lost on, as you mentioned, Bramhall. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bramhall. You helped referee uh, to to get us uh, knocked out. Um, that particular game, there's one one thing I wanted to to flag up, which is from quite a while ago, but I think it, it, it really is worthy of mention. Um somebody posted a message that had come from a Charlton athletic fan who had attended the, the game with his grandson, who is disabled. And it just said the, the following. I'm going to read this out to you. One of one of a few things, the, the, the reason why you have just got to fall completely in love with Roberto De Serbi. Listen to this. It says um, this is a Charlton fan. He says, I just wanted to tell everyone about the penalty shootout between Charlton and Brighton last night. Obviously, it's 21st of December. League Cup game. Um, yeah, League Cup game. Um, I have a handicapped grandson. I'd taken his wheelchair to matches, and as the shootout was about to begin, we couldn't see a thing um, where we were because of the, everybody milling around by the dugout area. I pushed my grandson towards the Brighton dugout technical area in the hope of a better view. Despite the importance of the moment for the Brighton manager, Roberto Zerbi, he could see that we were Charlton supporters with our red and white hats and scarves, and he made sure that we joined his management staff in front of the hoardings so that my grandson could see the shootout. Mr. Mister Zerby, as he calls him, um, even crouched down so that my grandson could see the players approaching the halfway line to take their turn for each penalty. Brighton fans, you have an absolute gent in charge of the playing side of the club. I thanked him profusely at the time for his kindness and want to post this to thank him again. So thanks, capital letters, from Grandad Wainwright and Albie Sargent. It's so nice to report on an event so positively when not all football stories read like this one. Please share this as much as you like, and hopefully it will make it to Brighton eventually. So I'm doing that now. Um, that's Obviously, that's out of date from about a month ago, but nonetheless sentiment endured don 't they that's one thing we can absolutely love roberto De Zerbi for i've got to say that's that's really out of out of the um the obligation field isn't it completely you know he he's possibly distracting himself from a major scenario in a major game for his team and yeah he's happy to to go the extra mile for someone else we're not completely surprised are we based on what he's done with his no, friend who a, sacked on the Ukraine side. the man who
0: stayed in Donetsk until all his players had left and, and uh, yeah, kind of uh, wouldn't go to Bologna as manager because his friend had been sacked and he'd had cancer or whatever sort of thing. And it, it's, it fits with the man that we know he is. And, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I love the Zerbi in a way that I never loved Possa. I never, you know, I mean, I've been listening to the show, you know, like I was never fully on the Possa, you know, kind of he and, and it was only in the last six months to me that he really had the results to back up maybe the football he had, but to me, a lot of the time the football wasn't that great anyway, whereas Deserby he's he's reckless in his in the footballing way in a sense, but he it's just so good to watch and it's just we just attack with such verb, and he is just such a i I love the fact we've got a manager who's passionate now as well you know I mean, I'm sure Potter and Hughton were very passionate in their own ways but they didn't show it. And the fact that he was, like, abused, not abused, but having a go at the referee and wanted to talk about it last weekend was brilliant, and I love that. Because, frankly, I want to hear the, referee, the manager stag off the referee, in a, not in a yeah. kind of, like, rude way, not in a kind of going too far like Poets sometimes did, but in a kind of, like, how do we not get a penalty there sort of thing, which is what they should be questioning.
1: Because if we don't question it, then it looks like we're too passive about the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, and referees will think they can walk over us in yeah. terms of making decisions with no accountability from our side. And then that's an then issue.
0: The video of him with the second goal was epic. I mean, that
1: was a fantastic reaction. Well, this is what I wanted to say as well, was his touchline antics. There were, there were two major moments. One was he got the yellow card, complaining about the penalty that should have been given. You want to see that. You don't mind him getting a yellow card. Quite honestly, I think every single Albion fan would be happy to say yellow card well well achieved
0: yeah, my dad and i were discussing it actually do you reckon there's a, a, a similar to, a, 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 to the players if a manager gets five yellow cards he gets a ban
1: oh i don't know that's a very I, good I, question i didn't
0: know either we were discussing it the other day and i, I well, i'm not I don't... sure he's going to get that but i wonder if that's the case if there's like a, a kind of disciplinary process if you get like a certain number of yellow cards
1: I wouldn't be surprised if that's not the case. There's no reason for it not to be the case. I've I never think. heard of a
0: manager getting five yellow cards, but I wonder <laughs> if it is the case if that happens.
1: Well, I think we might be about to find out this, right? <laughs> Although, no, it has to be 10 now by this point in the season, doesn't it? Because we are passed the watermark of halfway. But nonetheless, I mean, yeah, there were there were two moments on the touchline. One was that yellow card scenario. Quite frankly, I applauded for getting a yellow card there. Um, Leicester's assistant got one as well, for what that's worth. But... You know, you, you've got to you've got to argue your case. You've got to fight your side of the equation, haven't you? So I'm I'm fine with that. And the celebration for the goal, I and mean, we we saw one at Liverpool, was it Liverpool, Where A very animated one that got shown a load of times on social media. This was the same. It was a last minute, well, fairly late equaliser. Yeah, it
0: was about eighty you nine. Know, we to be honest, we kind of I kind of given up at that point. It didn't look like it was. I think it was like the last ten minutes. I was like, I don't think it's going to be one of those days, you know. Ball, every ball in the box was bouncing to them. Every kind of like mm-hmm. touch was like, but the problem, as I showed mentioned today, was that they, they had 11 men behind the ball. They had no outlet, which meant mm-hmm. that every we just kept coming, and eventually it was a fantastic ball. It was a bit of a scrappy kind of it, yeah engagement in the mid, middle. Grosh tried a clever flick, didn't work, but then won the ball back. But then it poked through to McAllister, and it bounced, and then Matoma did really well to flick it wide, and it was brilliant, for a brilliant cross for Superman. But the run from Ferguson was just. I mean, he, he didn't look like he had any chance to do it. And then he kind of ran perfectly to it and headed it. I mean, it literally had to be exactly there to go into the, into the corner.
1: Yeah, if you go back to the Widdink days, could you imagine a, a scenario where there was such a slick build-up, ball down the line, a really searing cross in, that was, would no, was... almost always have been far too pacey and direct and accurate for any other player at that level and for him to then have to still use his strength um directional um, abilities as well he, he, he had to do all the work on that header still didn't he he yeah, had a, a small window of opportunity and he had to get power on it and he had to get direction on it I thought that was a superb header possibly and, one of the best I've ever seen actually it's been
0: said a lot but the fact the maturity to just Rather than going absolutely mental, which is what I would have done in that situation at 18 or, or even at, at 40, he'd done that, he basically just picked the ball up and ran back to the halfway line. if He'd been doing it for years, and you know, because we want the win. And it was, yeah, it was really, really mature little play. And I, yeah, I mean, he, he looks a real prospect. Doesn't mean it was a wrong decision to not pick him from the start. After. I think it probably was the right decision. I think they've got to use him sparingly, you know, start him and then maybe put him on the bench every last half hour and then start him the next game and then alternate it. I don't know, they want to overdo it for him, especially because we've got a lot of games coming up. Hmm. And then the referee almost like completely compounded his awful performance. Well, he partly did by booking McAllister, the one bloody player he booked all day when he yeah. let them get a bit left to get away with constant fouling and, you know, kind of constant, like cynical fouls and stuff. Varley about four or five fouls like, in the game. And he, or, it was like two or three, probably, and then two or three he should have given, and he didn't. Um, there was a time McAllister got elbowed in the face that he managed to miss, and as well, yeah. and things like yeah. that. He was, he was pretty dreadful. And it, the game, actually, a couple of stages, it looked like it might boil over because he was so weak. He, he, but he didn't control the game at all, and the game looked like, a pretty tame game, looked like it might boil over a couple of times because of his, his weak play. But he then gifted him a free kick when, clearly, you was foul in the build-up to it. It was a blatant foul. McAllister probably, probably did trip. Um, Madison, but he wasn't much in it. And then he booked him as well. Madison being a cheat as he always is and diving any, any possible way he could, but not get on. And yeah, luckily Madison kicked the ball into the wall, so it was okay. But yeah, that could have been a real kick in the teeth if he'd scored that. Yeah. Um,
1: and. There's A number of these referees have come in recently, a lot of new names, and including from abroad with, uh, what's his name, Gillett, is it? Oh God, um, yeah, he's awful as well. None of them are great, to be honest. And I know these get, these guys, some of these guys get fast-tracked because they've apparently shown really good prowess at very early stages, and I'm sure they have, but uh, what, whatever they're doing or not doing, when they're getting into the Premier League, they are not looking great. Right. I've got to say.
0: No, I've, I've still yet to see what they saw in Jared Gillett. I'm, I mean, he's every time I've seen him, he's been poor at best. Yeah. On TV and, and, like, kind of, yeah, live.
1: I've got one or two more things to talk about in regards to Roberto Di Zerbi. Uh, but in the meantime, anything further to add from the Leicester game? Who was your man of the match? Um, I, you think I,
0: I think it's worth noting for all the fact that it felt like a bit like two points dropped at times that we probably wouldn't have got
1: that point last
0: season, I think. We just kept going. We oh, no, were a
1: specialist piece of last season. I don't, I don't, yeah, well, I, you
0: know. it actually, but I feel <laughs> like we probably would have, in that situation, have lost it in the end last season. So, um the match. Mittal was probably like kind of was up there. Uh, I thought Dunk played pretty well. Uh, Stupinol had a really good game. Um, yeah, midfield Casado and McAllister were good. There was, there was some mixed, yeah, mixed bag, but... Um, obviously like Ferguson came on and made a difference
1: hmm.
0: yeah we no. he sounds because...
1: French Peter estupinant mm-hmm. <laughs> <no.
0: laughs> um, yeah we're, we're we're without a few. You know, obviously we lost like Lalana, and that was a big blow I think and he was yeah he was he runs that game and he also you look at him on the pitch he kind of like controls the team as well he's like very much like the, the in a way he's the captain on the pitch even though Dunkey is a a lot more like kind of lead by example whereas so the one going like we all go here we all do this you do this like you know the one talking throughout the game, and yeah, I think when he's on the pitch, we don't we do miss him when he's on the pitch. Yeah, same happened against Villa as well. As he took the lead in two minutes, and he went off injured, and then it went downhill a bit from there.
1: Yeah, I think Leicester. I think it's it's a point gained and it's two points lost at the same time, isn't it? Really, yeah. for various points in the game, uh, we've we've had a lot of coverage in the media uh, over the last couple of weeks, which has been very interesting. I think um, one thing that was. Very positive, again, on the De Zerbi theme, and this brings me back to my other point I wanted to mention. There's a guy called Antonello Guerrera on Twitter who's apparently had an exclusive interview with De Zerbi for, for At Republica, and he said he talked about everything, the night after Liverpool, his style of play, the targets for this season, why he rarely enjoys his successes, Trossard, this is pre-Trossard sale, Mudrick, McAllister, etc. And there's, there's quite a bit on here, but it basically, um, his interview uncovered some interesting comments. Deserbi apparently said to him, I struggled to sleep the night of the match against Liverpool. No celebrations. I watched and analysed the game again and again for the future until dawn. You guys think that the hardest night for a coach is the one before the match? No, it's after, he says. This is why I maybe never fully enjoy my successes. I always think about improving. With Brighton, we must aim for perfection in football. This relates to uh, his answer to a question I had to him in a private forum uh, a few weeks ago. Um, He strives for perfection. He says perfection is impossible, but we'll work hard to get as closest as we can to it. He says, we have reached just 60 to 70% of our potential as a team and individually. Before moving to Brighton, I didn't expect my players to be so good, but I immediately realised that they were at my debut against Liverpool, the 3 all draw. From my side, nothing serious happened with Trossard. This is before the sale, by the way. Uh, He said, "Um, but recently he didn't give 100% in training and on match days. Football deserves respect. It gives everything to us, but we also have to give everything. I I don't have to apologise for anything. He said also on the matter of Trossard, maybe his agent fancies selling him for a lower transfer fee. Surely Trossard didn't tell me the truth. Everyone knows the dressing room knows how things went. But if Trossard wants to rejoin us with the right attitude, um, then he can do. Um, A great player and a pleasant man. His biggest quality is that he always does the right thing at the right moment. At 24, his maturity is stunning. He went on to talk about midrik as well, saying that um, Mikhailo is a top. Uh, I can't see what that says. Uh, oh yeah, a top player. He has the potential to win the Ballon d'Or in the future. Also, he is a sensitive young man. He needs affection to give him his best. And he went on to say, "I'll never forget my players. Before the bombs fell, we were a fantastic team. Shakhtar could have stunned Europe last year. And I'll never forget the people of Ukraine." They'll never surrender to Russia. Yes, an Italian always misses Serie A. Also, one day I wish to coach in Spain or Germany because only experiences abroad make you grow up. That said, I feel great at Brighton. I've just pressed something, so I've now lost my quote. Here we go. Where is it? Um, I feel great at Brighton, and I love being here. Fantastic players, very solid and well-organised club. Lovely fans. Pasquale Marino, when I was a player, and Pep Guardiola, the best of all. He made football evolve. He also played for Brescia, which uh, he did. He says, finally, the final quote, I inherited a fantastic team thanks to Graham Potter and his great job here at Brighton. My players are young, brave, and well-trained thanks to him. But I had a different mentality from Potter, more offensive, which is interesting. Quite a few interesting quotes in there. I think he's, he's very heart on sleeve, isn't he? is the first yeah, thing.
0: I, I mean, I love the bloke. He's just genuinely like, he's passionate. He, you're not going to get him lecturing us on like history and that sort of shit and that sort of side of things. Exactly. He's, yeah. He is, which like, basically, exactly as you say. He's like, he, he is what, everything he thinks, he kind of says almost in a way. Now, some people yeah. might not like that. I, I love it. I think he's, I'm already, I think, I think the majority of the fan, a lot of the fan base are already more connected with deserve in the space of like three months and they are ever with Potter. I
1: think fair. He he is the the perfect uh, mixture, isn't he, of Poet and Potter. Yeah. P- Potter's uh, nous and um, tactical awareness with Poet's personality, persona, charisma. He's not
0: as far as Poet as well. He's not like, he doesn't seem to take it too far, I don't think. Yeah.
1: He's he less far...
0: In, I think last weekend by the FA or whatever.
1: Yeah, he's he's less far in the Poet stakes, but he's further in the Potter stakes, which is the perfect combination. Um, loads of things in there. I can't remember if we talked about Trossard. He's gone to Arsenal, 20, rising to 27 million. I think it's a deal that's good all rounds because I think the player wanted to go. So it's, he's he's happy to go to a club that might win the title. And he's probably joined in time to win a title winner's medal if they do so. Arsenal would have there the agent actually as well.
0: His comments on him, because looking at his client list, he did from someone, I thought on Northland chat or Twitter, I think, he didn't have a great client list, mm. and you wonder how much there was the, the element of him wanting to make a lot of money out of Trossard because he didn't have many other players he was going to make
1: his money out of. Yeah, yeah. Um And I think, as I said, it's a good deal all round, because he wanted to go, we didn't want someone that didn't want to be here, and Arsenal paid a reasonably okay fee, so I think yeah. amongst Deals that have been done with the Albion in terms of sales, our end, I think that's probably the best deal anyone's had from us recently. But I think it's still the right deal. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't.
0: I don't think he'll be next season. He won't get much time. I don't think on the pitch. You think Arsenal win the? At the moment, I I would say he's possibly ahead of Enkettia. I would I play him up for that that That's of position head of him. But it yeah. looks like they're playing with Enkettia. If he yeah. can't get in now, Jesus comes back. That that blocks off one avenue. Then they, you know, Smith-Rowe is obviously quite a decent option off the, but he gets fit off the bench. And then they've got, they'll probably go and invest in more players as well. So I, I'm not sure next season. I think he'll get game time this year with all the games coming up and, and with, with, with you know limited options unless Arsenal spend before the end of the month. But I don't think next season he will. I think mm-hmm. he's basically going to get himself a lot of money out of it, but I'm not convinced he'll get. But I mean, if in all honesty, I'm truly sure we'd have offered him 70 grand a week to sign a new deal anyway. So he probably could have made a lot of money staying here and potentially been helped helped us get to Europe. And this is why I don't understand these. I understand that he wanted to move, but if he carried on till the summer and really pushed himself, he could have got 15 Premier League goals and he'd had all sorts of options and may have got a first-team place in a big six side. As it is, he's going to be a permanent bench-warmer with a cup games he's going to play and yeah. I'm not sure that, you know, all this talk about he wants to play and be at the right place. Well, I don't think he's going to play at Arsenal even now because he's not going to get ahead of, a bit of Martinelli or Saka, is he, to be honest. Or well,
1: he's fit. Two points on that. First of all, he scored seven goals in 16 games. I think he had three assists. I think it was as well. So that's a pretty good ratio. Fair play to him for that. In terms of what you said, no, you're probably right. However, if he gets enough game time to win a title winner's medal. And he's on massively more money than we, we we were paying him. Is he going to care? I think he'll be yeah, happy. Probably not.
0: But he did claim to want to be you know, a first team, and obviously that will affect his Belgian chances if he's not on the playing for yeah. Arsenal. Also, that seven and sixteen wasn't seven and sixteen in a way; it was seven and fourteen because he didn't basically turn up for the last two games he played.
1: Yeah, true. True.
0: He didn't even you know put any effort in. Yeah. In, and, in, in any if, of the, in the Charlton game or the two league games he played after he came back against and
1: Arsenal, we were better off without. Though, in his favour as well, I will say that I, assuming he didn't have an attitude problem in the World Cup in the training camp, why he wasn't chosen over Hazard? Yeah, uh, they, I um, agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean,
0: you have to ask Roberto Martinez, who's now the new Portugal manager, which I find <laughs> extremely bizarre because he's he screwed up the. I mean, the Belgian, you know, gen, young generation, generation or brilliant generation were much better than our brilliant generation. They actually had a, players who could play together rather than like basically four really good midfielders who no way could play together. And uh, the odd good defender and attacker. They actually had a whole team who were like among the best players now. People like Courtois, De Bruyne, Lukaku, Azard, all of Vatongan. Vertonghen. You know, there's so many good players. dead Dembele when he was available in uh, before he retired. They, they, and Martinez's best achievement is a semi-final at a World Cup when uh, when England got there as well, arguably with England's weakest team. You know, for a while. Uh, it's it's just yeah, I find it really weird that he's been given a Portugal job I found it weird he got the Belgium in the first place and I find it even weirder that having yeah. failed miserably at Belgium he basically kind of and he did I mean as much as they got to semi final the World Cup and a final of the Nations Cup whatever it was they they really haven't done they've done they've done less with that Belgian team than Southgate did with the England team
1: he he's sort of done because if I'm correct in remembering this he 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 continued the philosophy of Swansea playing a a ball playing, ball retention type of style. Was he in charge of Wigan when they won the FA Cup? I think he, yes, was. he was. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got one trophy to his name, which is fair enough because that's against the odds, hundred percent. But he hasn't really done much overall. has no. he? He's a good coach, but he's not. He's not brilliant. So he's, he's in, charge. in the last three tournaments.
0: It's significantly worse than Southgate's with England, and people yeah. wanted Southgate out, and Southgate's a much weaker team. On and paper, Player by player, by distance.
1: You look at Sven with the uh, with with his golden generation that he had, which was more or less equivalent, maybe weaker than. No, I, I think their generation
0: was a lot better than ours. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, half of ours you couldn't play together, like Gerrard and Lampard and Skulls
1: and stuff. We had these clicks or clicks, as these idiots co- seem to call it. I'll have another rant about pr- pronunciation later on. But anyway, me, me and um,
0: my cliques call it clicks.
1: So you know, <laughs> um, but. I think Sven, you know, he had, he had a bit of a profile. He'd be that what was it, Lazio, was it? I think he... Yeah, that's where his name was very... I think he probably had achieved more than Martinez. Who knows, who knows? Oh, he Maybe. definitely had yeah.
0: one stuff. I think he won a league at Lazio, didn't he? So.
1: Yeah. But to wrap up this first time part then, so can we just say Antonello Guerrera, interesting article. Thank you very much for that. Also, thank you to Rob Gilbert, who is a listener to this podcast as I understand it, who recognised me at an away game... Not Rod Gilbert. ...through my voice. Not Rod Gilbert with the togs, all about the togs in the duvets. No, it's not him. No, it's Robert Gilbert. He's an Albion fan. He's, he's very prominent on, on Twitter. And he responded to that article about Deserby, saying, what a guy, what a coach. We, Brighton, are lucky to have him at our yeah. club. I, I can't agree more. I can't agree I agree,
0: agree more. both Rob and Rod about that.
1: Yes, it's all about the togs, isn't it? (laughs) On that note, we're going to have a break. In part two, you're going to hear my conversation with Neil Atkinson from this midweek, talking about the upcoming game with you-know-who, Liverpool FC, and indeed the match just a couple of weeks ago where we played the very same team and beat them 3-0. He's going to give his opinions on that match and the upcoming game uh, peter you've heard this as well so i'll get your opinions on this afterwards here it is this is neil atkinson from the anfield rap so neil from the anfield Wrap, welcome to the podcast or welcome back i should say uh, how are you sir
2: very well indeed always a pleasure
1: Excellent, good to hear. And I'm not, I, I said when we were communicating, just to organise this, that I wouldn't needle you too much about the last result. I'm going to go gentle on you. Uh, amazing. No
2: to, let's be clear about this. Liverpool were absolutely awful, but Brighton were brilliant. And, and I always feel a bit, in that instance, what happens is everyone wants to talk about the Liverpool being rubbish thing a bit too much. Although, you know, because I thought that what Brighton worked out really, really quickly in the game was just how bad Liverpool were and how they could hurt them. And that's testament to how clever those footballers were. You know, the... the Obviously dominated the show, but there's games. There's been games this season. I mean, my God, we were pretty dire against Leicester at Anfield. Gave them an early goal, and then Leicester didn't quite know what to do with themselves, and then they gave us two own goals back, which was very kind of them. So now I thought that you know Brighton were were, you know very much realised that Liverpool were there for the taking and took them, and I think that's enormously to Brighton's credit.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's not often you score three goals and lose two one, is it? Uh, Leicester, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite something. But no, thanks very much for saying that. And also, I, I do, I do agree with you. It is often, well, not often. It's always twisted to how badly this big team, that big team, has done. And even though we're. Upper mid table, you could argue pushing for the, for European places at the moment. Still that narrative persists and it is pretty irritating. Even in the Leicester game, actually, funnily enough, when we, we, speaking of Leicester, we got the draw at the weekend. Um, you know, that was, it was still a lot about the dialogue around how badly Leicester are doing or, or, you know, didn't manage to do this, that or the other. Um, but it is good to know that you, you guys are, giving us the credit we deserve for how well we've been playing. Um, but it, it must also be noted, yeah, in that particular match at the Amex, it was a, a madly bad performance from Liverpool. I mean, you guys have obviously had injury issues uh, that have persisted and carried on through into that match and probably beyond as well. Um, but is there more to it than that? Has Klopp lost his mojo temporarily or of the players a little bit? Do you think well, what is causing it to be quite so bad?
2: I think the ultimate sort of issue is uh, there's been we've had a lot of injuries this term, but I think there's just an overall absolute burnout from certainly last season. I think Liverpool, I think last season catches Liverpool a little bit on the hop. You know, they get to about late January and they suddenly are in with a shout at winning a quadruple for a season that I think if you'd have asked them to all put the cards on the table before a ball was kicked at the very start of last season, they'd have said, "Well, we back ourselves to have a good run in the European Cup." And we reckon if City make a bit of a mess of it, we could capitalise in the league, but that's not we're not going to break 90 points. Um, and you know, on top of that, then there's the you know the there was Van Dijk coming back from a long-term injury, Gomez coming back from a long-term injury. And we've never really done that well in domestic cups under Jurgen. And all of a sudden we find ourselves winning two domestic cups, so going all the way, going all the way in the Champions League and all the way in the league. And it meant that every game was a massive game. So to, to sort of put it in context. Henderson plays 57 games last season, makes 57 appearances, and he's never broken under Jurgen for 42 appearances before last season. So at the age of 31, turning 32, is when he has his most intense season for Liverpool, when it's all on the line, when everything is on the table. Um, and I think he has a good season last season for Binho. I think his record number of appearances under Klopp until last season is 42. He ends up with 48. That's quite a marked difference. And. They look like that at the minute, they look like they've you know, they've been through a great deal, these footballers. They're finding it really, really hard. And I think that, that on top of the fact that other players who might have been expected to take some of the burden at earlier this season have had injuries, you know, Kiter, Chamberlain, Jones uh, have all been out with extended injuries. I just think there's and, you know, in general Liverpool maybe could have done with recruiting a little bit more in the area. I think that, in general, there just ended up being a, being a real malaise. Now, they're all trying to have to rouse themselves for a, a push for maybe top four, or an outside chance of that. Um, and they're just lacking a couple of gears. And I think that it's, you know, I'm hopeful. The hope is Brighton, not because of Brighton, I hasten to add, but Brighton's the Nadia of the season. And that from there, you know, since we went to Brighton, there's been two clean sheets. Uh, there's been a shift in the midfield setup. Um that it'll end up being seen as a little bit of a watershed moment for the side. Um, That's the hope. I mean, you know, there's a long way to go on that. But I think that Liverpool leave the Amex knowing that they need to rebuild their season, if not necessarily their squad completely. They need to rebuild the season from first principles. And so I think all of that sort of has has mounted that there's been other issues as he's tried to shift the midfield focus. It's made it harder for Trent Alexander Arnold to play his natural game. He's had, uh, I don't think Van Dijk's been as good this season as he was his first season back from after the elongated injury. I think he's found it a little bit harder, and now he's out injured as well. Uh, of our forward options at the moment, we're lacking. Um, you know, I thought that we really missed Nunez at the Amex, not because I think he would have made us play football better. But he would have really been able to run him behind and push Brighton back, and he might have made Brighton play football worse if you sort of see what I mean. He might have made Brighton less compact. But you know, we haven't had Nunez um, so far. This camp, as much as we would like this campaign, but we certainly haven't had enough of Diaz and Jota, and now we're missing Firmino as well. So, of his sort of six starting forward options, he's currently down to only two uh, in there. So, I think I think all of this has added up. But I think ultimately, it's a side that just does look burnt out and precisely what you do about that because the really weird thing is that we've still got 19 league games left to play, that's half the season if it doesn't feel like it to any of us but right now we've still got half a season left so they can be burnt out as much as they want they've got to complete 19 league games (laughs) so it all needs to get sorted out one way or the other and the Amex coming up I think is another step forward on that journey
1: Yeah, for clubs unlike ourselves who have had this extra involvement in the European uh, campaigns, the longevity in those domestic competitions. Obviously, that burnout is through the roof. And I did suspect you'd say that was a major reason for the recent decline in their fortunes. And if you look at Lionel Messi's just won the World Cup finally, and there's a whole debate about the GOAT and everything else. And he hasn't really done it for Argentina to the degree that everyone might think he would. But he hasn't had a break for summer after summer after summer and in international breaks and everything else. He's not stopped for years and years and years, and it's no coincidence that, um, you know, perhaps they, this was the time where when he's playing in Paris, where it's a little bit more processional for winning the title. And they dropped out of the Champions League slightly earlier and so on and so forth. That maybe it was his year to, to do it. But in terms of Liverpool, yeah, I mean, it looked like you'd done the right stuff. You'd, you'd strengthened in numbers in the attacking area which you thought was a good way of negating the issue of losing Marnet. And of course, you know, <laughs> lo and behold, you end up just with even more injuries in that department, which, uh, which is a bit of a difficulty. Uh, how much do you think you've missed Marnet? Do you think it's, do you, do you think he's, he's left a void still? I know there's obviously the injuries distorts this, r- the answer to this really, but um, do you think you've missed what he brought particularly? Because he, he led the press, me pretty much.
2: Yeah, I think we missed Marnet, but I think we've missed Jossamore. And I think that it's an unspoken... I mean, Mane wasn't very good for the first half of last season. So, Jota is excellent for the first half of last season. Mm. Has an injury when we get to about February. Comes back, but he's off the boil a little bit. and Doesn't quite hit the heights again. Uh, Mane, first half of the season, last season, there was Liverpool supporters saying it's time for him to go, which in the end is what happens. Liverpool moves his position. They signed Diaz, so they've got the extra body in terms of a ball carrier in there. And, and Mane, I think, has his, his last hurrah playing centre-forward for Liverpool and does well uh, in the role. But I don't think it's as simple as... I think there's obviously a cultural thing around Mane, but he, even he was sort of sort of visibly, physically declining. And what's interesting is, you know, he doesn't go to the World Cup in the end because he gets an injury. And, you know, similarly, Genie Wijnaldum left Liverpool two seasons ago and has barely played 15 games of football since. But, you know, you've you've put... And that's why this isn't just, for me, it's not just one season. I think one season's been about, you know, they've had to go deeper than they've ever gone before, dig deeper. But I think that they absolutely, for, you know, since 2016, there's a number of these footballers, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, you know, get to the first Champions League final under Klopp in 2018. These footballers have not just played a hell of a lot of games, but every single game has had something riding on it. So to go to use the 17-18 example, we go all the way in the Champions League and we qualify for the Champions League the following season with one game to go. So you're playing until the very, very end. The following season, we get 97 points going toe-to-toe with Manchester City and win the Champions League. So you never get, you know, we have this cliche that we use around footballers in April and May where we wonder are one or two of them on the beach and what we don't mean is that they are literally sort of playing in sandals or that they're not trying. But I think there is a thing where games have less riding on them. Liverpool have had no games on the beach, apart from possibly post-March uh, 2020, when the COVID football comes back in. And that was a funny period anyway, because the league was effectively all already won. But Liverpool have had no games on the beach. Uh, that's the only time, you know, the season when they don't do very well, when it's the full COVID season, they need to win. In the end, they win eight of the last ten to secure Champions League football. And then last season goes the way in which it goes. So there's not even been the idea that Liverpool, whilst completing league fixtures, have been able to play wind-down football for five seasons. Every game has felt absolutely massive. And when you're going toe-to-toe with Manchester City, you feel like you kick off 1-0 down because they're going to win. So you've got to win. And I think it's interesting that this season, you know, City aren't quite themselves. Um, I think it's fair to say that. I think they've sort of lost a certain je ne sais quoi in there. I think there's, you know, Chelsea. Even for all the purchases, you know they've played the most football of anyone of the last last two years of football because they they won the European Cup the season before and they've gone deep in cup competitions uh, yeah. on three occasions of the last four times they've been run and you know they've found it hard and a lot of their sort of mainstay footballers have really gone off the boil or left. Um, you know Leicester have played a lot of football. They've gone deep into cup and European competitions. They're a mess. West Ham have had you know, two seasons of European football. They're a mess uh, this season, really underperforming compared to what you'd expect. I don't think this stuff's that coincidental, to be honest. And I think that that this is in the post for everyone to some degree. But I think Liverpool have ended up having it, having a toughest because there's been injuries on top, but maybe because they've not refreshed as quite as smartly as they could have done. And then they end up sort of scrabbling around a little bit, it feels like in this transfer window for for a midfielder. But, you know... All of this, though, you've got to be careful because what you don't want to start saying is that you don't want your... Like, I, for instance, think that Brighton should be absolutely determined to go as deep as they can in the FA Cup this season and should also be genuinely sort of iron up a European place. I think it's what the club deserves. I think the club's been brilliantly run for a long period of time on and off the pitch. And I think that, you know, that should be capped with European football. Uh, that's what, you know, Brighton should be in it for. So you've got to be careful that you don't end up saying, oh, you don't want any of that European football because it'll knock all your players out because that's the reward and that's meant to be the good bit. But I think it does come eventually, you know, it will come with 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 an additional tariff uh, physically on your players. But then, you know, Liverpool have got unbelievable resources, huge budgets, huge wage budgets. So you've got to, you've got to be able to plan for that and you've got to make your decisions.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a paradox, isn't there, in this qualification for Europe because we we see it as a genuine possibility. I think realistically, for the first time, where we really look like we could could compete well enough to qualify come the end of the season, either through the league format or indeed through maybe even winning a cup. Who knows? Um, well, the FA Cup, it would have to be this season now. Um, and we'll come on to our game in a moment uh, in, in that regard. But yes, it's it's a big jump, isn't it? If you did qualify for Europe as a club, like. The Albion with less resources, less wage budget than Liverpool, and well, maybe probably less than West Ham and the likes of them. It's going to be a, a big jump if we do go up. We've we had a good we've shown some good strength and depth. Our weakened team, the Arsenal's weakened team at the Emirates of the League Cup, and comfortably so that was a great result. And we we showed that we have got some strength and depth. I think it's a mixture of who we brought in, the players we've signed, who were just in that periphery and just about ready for first team football. A couple of academy players that are coming through that are doing really well. But I do think that be a it would be a huge chasm on what we've got versus what we'd need. And um, do you see us as from the outside looking in, Neil? I don't know if you were at the game um, the other week, or indeed whether you're going on uh, Saturday oh, on Sunday this week. But, I was there say, the
2: week. but I'm not. I'm not on Saturday. No. So,
1: okay. So sorry, I'm not on the
2: Sunday. But I was. Like, I was for the for the, for the three, no, yeah. the three.
1: Yeah, well, having seen us up close and personal in that game, and with your overall perspective, how do you see it going for the Albion? Do you think we will qualify, based on what you've seen so far at this halfway stage?
2: I think ultimately, I think that realistically, to some degree, Liverpool and Chelsea both get their acts together to some degree, which maybe pushes Brighton down into you know likely being being seventh or eighth, but. It's possible that one of Liverpool and Chelsea don't quite get their act together soon enough. I think it's also possible that Brighton are able to still pick up points at at a very healthy rate. I think I think this is a really interesting Brighton side. I, I, th- I, th- I think Brighton are a good side, a really good side, and I think that if you did if you did get into Europe, I actually think you know for instance, let's imagine if Brighton got into say the Conference League, I think that I'd make Brighton probably favourites for it before the ball's kicked. Um, I think that that would be, you know, something that'd be eminently possible. The, the question would be being able to split resources between the league and the European campaign. But I'd be yeah. pretty certain that Brighton could go really deep into that competition and do well. You know, West Ham made a Europa League semi final. I think I'm right in saying, mm. uh, you know, there's nothing to stop for me Brighton being able to, to to go quite deep in in either competition. Um, if they were to if they were to get into the competition, and then again, that's where the budget thing. You know, Premier League teams are richer than so many of the European counterparts. So. You know Brighton, who would have to be full of pep and vim and outperforming the budget to get there. Once they're there in Europe, they'll be one of the sort of top six budgeted sides in in either of those two competitions. So, I think I, I think if they got there, they'd do well. I think there's lots of reasons to think that they can. I think it's so important not to sell um, anyone in this in this window, and it looks like that's what Brighton are going to do, and I respect that massively. There's been a lot of links. The idea that Liverpool want Kaiseido, but. Firstly, I think the footballers should see it out of Brighton for the rest of the season. I think, almost spiritually, haven't come on the journey. I think it's important to to see that through. He's of a good age where if he wants to get a good move in the summer, I'm sure the club will support him in that and help him in that, and and make sure the club are compensated. Don't get me wrong, but Brighton don't exist to, solely to to be a feeder club to bigger clubs. That will be part of I think Brighton's sort of business plan, but they don't have to do it every time any big club clicks the fingers. As far as I'm concerned, and if Brighton are in a position where they can challenge for a top-six finish. Then I do feel a little bit... I feel differently around it, I think. If, if Brighton were 13th, but Caicedo was the outstanding footballer in that team, then I'd go, well, maybe there's a bit of an argument to to say, well, you know, he does, He should move on and he should have opportunities. He can still win a trophy with Brighton this season. And if you got Brighton into Europe, it would be the high-water mark for what is this Brighton renaissance um, across the last sort of 10, 15 years. And I think you're part of that you know you don't get to choose to be a teeny bit part of that and then as soon as it's your convenience you disappear off i think you know if he moves on in the summer then he moves on in the summer and the same with a couple of others um but i think that you know brighton are in it should feel like and i, I want brighton to feel like they're all in this together now until the end of the campaign so i th- i think that there's every chance brighton can finish sixth or seventh i think it's possible it just becomes eighth um and they get a little bit squeezed out a little bit undermined by the newcastle project possibly But I think ultimately, I think that this is a side that is quite clearly one of the eight, will prove to be one of the best eight in the country by the end of the season. And then where that comes in the shake-up, I think fourth will probably be a bridge too far, but fifth, sixth, seventh or eighth feels as though, you know, feels very possible for this Brighton side.
1: Oh, excellent good to hear Um speaking of budgets as you did there that's one problem that I might have to encounter which you guys have had to deal with on a number of occasions this might be a one off for us is my travel budget because <laughs> yeah. it would be our first time in Europe I'd have to be going around there it's
2: massive I? it's massive it'd be massive for the supporters it'd be massive for the Amex the Amex is a great ground you know it's 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 really well set up for the idea I think of Teams coming from overseas, having a great time. Brighton itself is a place, is a brilliant place. You know, I think if, if it would be madness. I would, if, if Brighton got into Europe, every single European club would want to come and play, play Brighton. Uh, did want, you know, every set of supporters would want to come and be part of it at Brighton. What, when I say Brighton have got everything right on and off the pitch, I, you know, I include sort of the social sides as well. I include the fact that the town, the city feels part of the, the football club, even though it is connected by a train. You know, I think that all of that is, is part of why, you know, Brighton in Europe, I think is, you know, potentially really, really exciting. I think it's it's it would be really exciting to be really exciting for Brighton as a place. Really exciting for the side that Brighton were to meet meet in Europe. The way the Amex sets itself up post match. You know, the idea of 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 balmy spring evenings as Brighton move through the Conference or Europa League from last sixteen into last eight, and you know, the idea that everyone gets to enjoy the facilities uh, and enjoy the space. I think it'd be brilliant, and I, and and that's why I think you know. I'm really pleased they've set a prohibitive fee for Caicedo. It says that they know this is an opportunity to sprint for the line. I think we all know Brighton's brilliantly run, but I think it's important to be brilliantly run, but also know when the sporting opportunities are there. And right now there's a massive sporting opportunity for Brighton and, and the people who've run Brighton as well as they have. They deserve the moment of getting European football at Brighton. They deserve to be at UEFA's big table.
1: Excellent. And we had, of course, we had the heart ripped out a little bit with what happened with Chelsea earlier in the season. They took Potter, his original backroom staff, additional backroom staff, loads of other staff. And of course, they'd already taken Cucuraya. Now they are one of the teams coming coming in sniffing around Casado. Um, It was a big blow that we had to endure there. And we feared that we were on the brink of potentially getting into Europe. It was very early in the season. And we we thought our dreams may have been dashed there. But of course, the club have come up with a really good replacement manager, coach, I should say, uh, who's been doing brilliantly. And in fact, if anything, we've stepped on possibly further from where we would have done under Graham. Um, We hope for the best, obviously, in the league. Of course, the other possibility is to qualify through uh, the cup competition that we are still in, which is the FA Cup. Um, we've got a bit of an awkward obstacle in our way coming up very soon on Sunday, which is, of course, you guys. Um, I'm sure you were delighted with the draw as much as me were right? <laughs> when you saw that. You're thinking, right, we've got to get past Wolves, and then we've got the Albion and the Amex again. Um, how do you see this one going? Because we, we're going to have a couple of players out. Lalana's not going to be fit. will who's a young lad from Chelsea, on loan, who's not unfortunately, who's been doing very well, is not going to be available he's injured um and we have McAllister has picked up a fifth yellow so he's not going to be involved um that's going to weaken us a bit you guys still have your injury worries how do you think it might go yourself Neil?
2: I've got I mean it's interesting you say all of that I've got no no real sense of of what to expect from a Liverpool point of view in this one I've got no sense of how strong he may go and also I've got no sense of what strong actually is um, it looks like Fabinho and Henderson have both forgotten how to play football, which is a major problem. Um, and so if he was to start Fabinho and Henderson, it might look like a strong Liverpool team. But if he was to start Fabinho and Henderson, it might well be that he's looking at them thinking, well, this is a cup game and they're actually now not in my first Premier League eleven. The only thing is we've got, you know, we've had no game since last Saturday against Chelsea. We've got no game until the following Saturday against Wolves. I think your marker is what he does in attack. I think if he plays Salah and Nunez, then he's very, very committed to wanting to win the game and keep the FA Cup status. If he mm-hmm. picks only one of them, then I think it says, mm, could go either way. If he picks neither of them, then I think it's a bit of a mark about as far as he's concerned. The FA Cup is is a little bit of a write-off now for Liverpool this season and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so within that, does he pick Kelleher or does he pick Alisson in goal? Um, again... I think if it's Kelleher, it's a slight marker, but I think he also would want to get games into Kelleher uh, because he's he's a really good goalkeeper who, who, who deserves to get opportunities to play. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been played. Trent Alexander Arnold hasn't started either of the last two. So again, if Trent starts, what does that actually mean? Uh, but I'd like to think that Trent will start. I I hope he goes quite strong. I hope you see Salah and Nunez up front. Um, then I hope he picks the midfield he wants to pick. Uh, whatever he feels, feels his first choice is because these footballers, if it is going to be different, need to get used to playing together and Brighton will be a great test, win, win, win lose or draw. I mean, there is also a nightmare scenario here, to be honest with you, Russ, that none of us are talking about, which is a draw, uh, which means that Liverpool and Brighton will play each other three times inside one month. Um, That is is a live runner and rider. We're going to have Wolves three times almost back-to-back because we've had them in the two cup games and we go there to Molyneux next week. So we could end up in a situation where we effectively play uh, Brighton, um, where we effectively play Wolves, Brighton, Wolves, Chelsea, Brighton, Wolves, Brighton um, in a in a, in a a run of games from a Liverpool point of view. I think I might have actually missed a Wolves game out there, uh, <laughs> which is just so horrendous uh, in terms of your variation. So I think they're your markers for Brighton supporters listening. I think if Salah and Nunez starts, then he's going for it and he's picked pretty close to his best, what he sees as his best 11. If Salah and Nunez don't start, then he's going to just go with and see where he ends up. Uh, and if if there's a bit of a halfway house there, that that's a bit of a suggestion thing. I hope he really picks Canati and Gomez together. I think that's worked well and centre-halves need time to blend and to work with one another. Um, I hope he picks Robertson at left-back. Same thing applies to get used to working with Canati and Gomez in Van Dijk's absence. But ultimately, you know, I hope he goes strong is what I'm saying. If he does, I don't think that at the minute that's any any sort of certainty of anything in terms of Liverpool's performance. I think we're playing for time uh, a little bit at the moment. I think we're just trying to sort of find something, but... He could find something and there being no McAllister, no Colwill who I thought was excellent, uh, in the in the game at the Amex Does he really was really, really impressive, especially the way he passes through midfield. Um, you know, that's obviously good news from a Liverpool point of view. Um, I'm sure there'll be smart alternatives to Lallana. I'm sure Matoma will be on it again. He scored last week, I noticed, and, and he's such an exciting footballer. I think Ferguson's really impressive. So I think that you know, Brighton will carry a ton of threat. And I think the key thing is I'd be really disappointed if Brighton didn't go as strong as they possibly can because this is a trophy that could be won this season. I feel as though Brighton could beat anyone at the Amex, including Liverpool this weekend. But also, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge stretch of the imagination to imagine Brighton. One of Chelsea and Arsenal going, sorry, one of City and Arsenal are going out. Chelsea have already gone out. Uh, you know, there's, there's other other sides that are normally favoured for this competition. So if you know if Brighton dispose of Liverpool and then one of Chelsea and City go out. I don't think it's mad to think that, you know, Brighton could beat City in a in an FA Cup semi FA Cup quarter final or semi final. At which point, you know, there could well be a, a Crystal Palace, I don't know if they're still in it or not, but a Crystal Palace in the final or a you know or a side in the final, Aston Villa, uh, that they may feel as though they could get a result against and you know, I I think that Brighton are more than capable of that, so I hope Brighton I think Brighton should be very much first eleven. I don't know what you think, but going to try and win the game.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think we will do, because I do think, we, as you said, it's opened up. Quite a few Premier League clubs have dropped already. I think it's about eight have gone with some more guaranteed in this round. And um, yeah, I think we will go strong for it. Um, By the way, Palace are out, we're delighted to say. I
2: I knew you'd have the details on that one.
1: Yeah, beaten by um, manager uh, Nathan Jones at Southampton, former player of ours as well. So that was particularly uh, pleasing. But we'll see, see how it goes. I mean, I've got no idea how this will go at the weekend. It's live on TV, of course, as well. Lunchtime kickoff on Sunday for anyone that can't go, which includes myself, actually. I can't make it down, unfortunately, for that one. But I'll be watching with a keen eye on how this is going to go. We could be seeing the future winners of the competition. Uh, who knows? Um, so I wish you the very worst of luck, obviously, for ah, Sunday. Absolutely. <laughs> but the very best of luck for the rest of the season after that, Neil.
2: As long as there's not a replay, Ross. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I if there's if if it's if it's level with five to go. I think both managers should sub the keeper. And, <laughs> let's just commit. Let's just commit. It gets sorted today. No yeah. keepers. See, see who
1: wins. <laughs> totally agree with you. Yeah, neither of us want the replay, really, do we? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> excellent. Cheers, as always, Neil. Thank you for joining us, and thank we'll you. speak to you next time. Cheers. So there we go, Neil Atkinson telling us that we are going to win the European Conference League, Peter. <laughs> what do you think about that?
0: I mean, if, if we might as well just give us the trophy now, really, mightn't
1: we? <laughs> He's made his mind up. You know, we're, we're there. We're going to win it. Fantastic. Thank you, Neil. We we look forward to, well, we can have a, a trophy ceremony in Liverpool. So it's it's nice to have a,
0: a opposing fans on here being complimentary, but sometimes, sometimes they're a bit delusional as well. <laughs>
1: Yes, usually about our transfer fees, but in this case, about us winning a trophy that we're not so sure about.
0: Yeah, we we haven't won a trophy in our history, that our major trophy, other than Charity Shield in 1910. In our first season of European football, we're going to win win a trophy. I'm uh, genuinely impressed. Yeah, thanks, Neil. uh, I'll look forward to it. My bank balance will be pretty limited by the end, but you know.
1: (laughs) We still need to have a beer with Neil. They're great guys, the Anfield Wrap guys. I really love them. They're, They're superb. Um, well,
0: we'll definitely be playing until the next year unless Liverpool go down. So,
1: Yeah, well, that's it. We're on 31 points, is it, I think, at the moment? Yeah. So we, we only need to beat one more team or even just get three or four more draws and we're safe. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so, on to part three. Any other business? Right. Well, can I start with this? Andy Naylor on Twitter has been uh, arguing the case about us with the, in our transfer policy. What about us for the podcast, or no, not us, literally. No, no, because that would have been a bit weird. Um, he said a few Was it days ago, pro or
0: anti, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who, who's to say, Peter? Who's to say? Oh, no, he, he said 190 million plus combined in terms of transfer, um, receipts for Trossard, Kukurea, Basuma, Byrne, Warpay, White. The cost for those players. 60 million, under 60 million. So a 130-something million profit on six players. Um, not too bad. He also says 27 million is double what Brighton paid for Genk, Patrossard in June 2019. Had him for 3.5 seasons from the age of 24. Another recruitment triumph for Brighton. It's true. We're getting a load of stuff right, aren't we?
0: And obviously that ignores... Probably the biggest profit of all, which well, I mean, who knows who it'll be? But I mean, it could be Matoma the way he's playing. It could be. It could be probably win the short term be Casado. McAllister's going to be a huge profit. Ferguson will probably, if he carries on like this, be a huge profit.
1: Yes, or or is it Leo Ostergaard? Hundred thousand pound we pay for him. We sold him for nine million. uh... Wasn't there a lot of add-ons
0: in that though? And he's not really played for Napoli this year.
1: Yeah, true, true. However, that's, uh, that's not bad. That's not no. a bad deal, is it? For a player who had played, I think, one game in the League yeah. Cup or something like and that. And at
0: some point soon, we'll probably get a reasonable amount of money for um, Jokeres as well. Because he's due to... Uh, there's rumours of him moving now or in summer or whatever.
1: Yeah, he scored at the weekend, which he was one goal behind the, uh, the top scorer level for the Championship. I'm assuming he's now joint top scorer. Maybe he isn't. I don't know. But he's that, is the that the very
0: the very famous Tubarak <laughs> Yes,
1: yes. I mean,
0: that's kind of my point. Whenever anyone complains about the fact we let Jokarez go, it's the fact that yes, he'd only got the same number of goals this year as Tubarak bomb, who was one of the worst loans I have made in the annex years, if not the worst. I mean, he the levels of Billy Painter sort of thing.
1: <laughs> well, there is that. There is that. I tell you, who's a good striker, Peter? And we've solved our problem from in-house. We signed him two years ago. He's now 18, just turned 18. He's Irish. Technically, he could play for England, but I don't think he's going to. He's played a couple of games as a friendly for Republic, and I think he's going to feature in their qualifiers upcoming. There is income. absolutely
0: no way he won't get in that team.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's their best player by some distance. It's Evan Ferguson. Now, I've got so much to say about this guy. Now, he scored the goal that was the equaliser at Leicester. We've talked about that a little bit. Can I just quote a couple of things that have come my way in the last couple of days? This is from, I think it's from uh, Glenn Murray. He said, in my first session with him, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is that right? Yeah, I think it is. Let me just check.
0: Hopefully trading session, uh, not session down a pub.
1: Well, here's the... <laughs> here's the quote anyway. It says, in my first session with him, he asked, oh, this is Mark Beard, our former youth coach, Yeah, he said, in my first session with him, he asked to do extras on his own, so I did a shooting session with him, he's an all-round centre forward who can shoot with both feet head, volley score with his back to goal I kept testing him, but he had no weakness, the two goalkeepers didn't save one shot in 10 minutes the session lasted, I have never seen anything like it that's from Mark Beard, who was a youth player at the time I had another go. from Glen Murray. It says he was signed as a 16-year-old from League of Ireland Club Bohemians in January 2021 amid interest from Liverpool, Everton, Manchester United and Celtic, all with Irish connections, you'll note. He said, I'm not surprised by his progress at all. Oh, this, this, sorry, this is from Beard. He said, I'm not surprised by his progress. He's a special talent who will go right to the top He's got that aura about him. Without any ego, he can do everything with the ball. In my first session with him, we asked him to do extras, et cetera, what I've just talked about. He said, then came the wow factor from for, for Murray with Ferguson slipping the ball past the advanced goalkeeper, Aaron Ramsdale. This is in the um, Arsenal game where he scored his first goal. It says, to have the composure, even with Ramsdale rushing at you, he rolls his studs over the ball, which changed the whole perspective for for Ramsdale as it affects his angles, said Murray. That one touch changing the direction of the ball is almost unteachable. You've either got it or you haven't. And he went on to say his understanding of the game, when to drop off, when to spin it out, when to hold it up, they're things that can't be taught, said Murray. They're things that experience brings, but he just seems to have such a good understanding so early I'm so impressed at the whole package.
0: Well, I was going to say, that, that goal at Everton, there was like a lot of talk about it on Match of the Day and on the highlights, saying that it looked really simple in terms of the tap-in and Simon did really well and had it back.
1: That's but the beauty fact, of it,
0: it. went backwards and moved to the point where he got the ball and had a really swift, you know, easy easy shot at goal. That sort of thing. And the position with the header as well at the weekend to get the position freedom to get on the end of the cross. Yeah, again, it's it's the sort of sense that a goal scorers have, and to have that at eighteen and not, you know, to, yeah, it, it isn't easy to learn. It's just something that you naturally have. And he looks, I mean, we've had so many full storms with strikers over the years, from likes well, of Joe Gatting and Jake Robinson at, at with Dean to obviously uh, Aaron Connolly recently. But I, yeah, without getting carried away, he looks the real, real deal to me. He, he's yeah, as they said, he's he scored a, he's, he looks dangerous on both feet. He's he, he's actually you know, quite good he's got two assists in that time as well you know it's not, he's not just a kind of greedy goal hanging you know, kind of taking his chance he looks at a player that we've been trying to buy and looking to try and sign for a while and haven't been able to we haven't got the budget to do it he looks like he could actually be it and he's, he's got just a new contract as well which is brilliant isn't it you know, just come,
1: so yeah. delicious that he's come from within more or less we signed him a couple of years ago age 16 but you know but he's, he's got, got a new- right of striker in as well well, Mark O'Mahoney yeah, yeah, exactly. or
0: something like that from Cork? Yes,
1: yes, we've just signed Mark Mah- Mac O'Honey. No, sorry, Mark...
0: O'Mahoney, o-
1: o- isn't it? O'Mahoney. Mark
0: O'Mahoney. It's not Mark O'Mahoney. Mark yeah. O'Mahoney.
1: Mark O'Mahoney from from um, Ireland, from Cork City. And we've also signed well, Jamie in. Collins recently from Bohemian.
0: Okay. The suggestion I've heard, of, I've, I've not seen him play particularly, is that Moran, arguably, is a, as good a prospect as Ferguson. He's just a position where we've got a lot of options at the moment. and
1: I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to know what's happened here. We've, we've stepped up through the ranks. Certain players have fallen short because Kyrgyz, Ostergaard, those sort of players, would have fitted in. Maybe when we were a struggling Premier League team, definitely when we were a Championship team. They've fallen by the wayside because we've gone on to greater heights. And yet, the timing is perfect. For the greatest of all of our prospects, new or, yeah. or early assigned to the academy, Ferguson Moran. Tell who i
0: I read about this week, he was quite an interesting one. Who, there was a, a quote from a Walker manager saying that you stay staying for the rest of the season because there was, obviously a bit of talk about other cha- championship teams, maybe whatever, but Jensen Weir is staying there for the rest of the season. He's got nine goals for them already this season. I've seen He's his goals. That, as he, well. he didn't do anything that night that we saw them, but he. No, we,
1: we went. We went to try and tick off Morecambe on the ninety-two list. I think with our eighty-seventh ground at the time. I think on our way to eighty-nine yeah. at the moment. Well, and, eighty-eight.
0: Um, you've got your one ahead of me.
1: Oh yeah, you haven't done Wimbledon yet, but anyway. But um, he, yeah, he was he was poor that day. They were poor that day. But he's been scoring a lot of goals. He but looked, he's
0: another one, you know. Potentially next year championship, and then you know well, either we make a quite quite a big profit by selling him if he does well. Does okay there, but doesn't look like he'd build up. Or we potentially bring him in the sixth season. You know, it's that it, we seem to have these, you know, this talent of spotting the youngsters. And I know Wigan were obviously going through a bit of a shit time at the point that he kind of came through. And so we're a bit lucky he, in that I sense. Think but he here's another one well.
1: I think he looks classy. He looks a good player. Whether he's good enough to be yeah. involved in our incarnation as we are now is difficult to say. But I do think that. My point is with with focusing them around, we somehow the, the graduation with our Academy is fitting the Premier yeah. League model a bit more, which is well
0: great. the goalkeeping situation. Well, we've, we've got Sanchez obviously and then you know, we've got Sherpin in Holland who I don't know how he's doing, but we've got um, basically have got Rushworth on his way up to the championship next year and I imagine and then hopefully challenging at our, our level. We've got Beadle then who's just signed a new deal, who's then Who's on loan at crew and probably start the same trajectory, hopefully, if he does well there. You know, we've got like a kind of permanent, just, you know, kind of like, you know, in midfield, hopefully at some point, if one of these, if McAllister or, or Casado go into summer, we've got like players like Kozlowski who might come in, yeah. who's supposed to be is really, you know, good prospect in, in Poland. Alzate on loan, who's still quite young. I mean, they might be able to make it under, under Deserbi. I still um,
1: like Kadra as well. I think he's, yeah. he's really good. If yes, he's signed a
0: new job job, wants to sell him or because they want to try and have a look at him in the summer. I imagine most players will be back in the summer and, and the Serbia will be looking at them and then if they, you know, a couple of weeks of training, they're not looking like it and a friendly or two, they're not be loaned out or sold. But he'll want to have a look at these players. You know, people like Azate, people like Kadra, people like that. Uh, people like um the Polish fullback Karbovnik. You know, people like, you know, and they'll we'll get a chance. He's doing quite well in the German second division this year.
1: Well, On the the subject of Ferguson, that that one where he hit the post, um, Murray said he uses the pace on the ball to feed it back across the goal with his left foot. That was seriously good. That's something you might do when you've played for a long time. But I haven't seen that from an 18-year-old ever. And he said, as you are coming through, you want to make your mark and you snatch at things sometimes. You're so desperate for it to happen. But his calmness at that moment, is exceptional. So many others might lose their heads. Yet it was another passage of play earlier in the game at Goodison that impressed Murray more. He said that the clip showing Ferguson lurking at the far post, about to run inside uh, Mielenko, as Mitoma feeds the ball across the outside of his foot, Ferguson swivels to strike the moving ball with his left foot, hitting the bottom of Jordan Pickford's right-hand post with the, uh, with the diving keeper comprehensively beaten. Murray is seriously impressed with this guy. That's
0: isn't Twenty it? minutes into his first start, as well, not just first league start. I think it was his first start, full stop, wasn't it? Or did he start at? No, he came, it was before Middlesbrough. Yeah, so, he, so his yeah. first league start. He came against Arsenal and scored, and he played at he Everton. Started
1: league. against Forest Green scored and assisted.
0: No, but he came off the bench, didn't he? There, I thought Undad started, didn't he?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, so I don't yeah.
0: think he started there. So it, it was literally, I think, his first start for Albion. Which, I mean, 20 minutes in, he does that, and it's yeah. He looks, and he, and he's a sort of player you can, you know, he's mobile, but he's also well built. He's strong enough to hold the ball up. He's kind of what we are looking at. It, it's kind of what I already what I was hoping someone like Andoni would be. You know, someone who's a bit mobile but also quite well built and strong enough to hold the ball up. Hopefully, what with the quite a crazy attitude of Genraizal and Andoni had. But
1: yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and yeah,
0: um, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to get a bit carried away with him. To be honest, he he is genuinely just, he's we, just brilliant, and yeah, piss off any big clubs interested in him.
1: <laughs> well, you say piss off any big clubs. We, we we talked about the transfer window, and we're going to have one on thirty uh, first Tuesday evening, at the Pembury Tavern, Pembury Tavern in Hackney Downs.
0: That's and, recommended by my mate Lawrence and a random bloke we met in the pub in uh, Hampton.
1: And we will be doing our next podcast from there, which will include a review of our scintillating victory over Liverpool in the FA Cup, I'm sure. Um, But (laughs) in general, though, I've got to say this guy, it's very hard not to get very, very excited by him because he's got it all. He's two-footed. He's physical. He can play facing goal. He can play away from goal. He's got savvy. He's uh, He's got a cool head. Under pressure, he will take his time if he needs to to finish. And he, the best bit, the best bit of all is all of the, the drawing runs he's done, where he's run over to make space for other players. Solly March, for example, in a recent game, where he has got the savvy to understand very very quickly where where the space where the potential is coming from. And you can probably all hear in the background my cat making her feelings known. Hello, Marmalade. She's
0: getting carried away, isn't she, by him?
1: She loves Evan Ferguson. But who wouldn't?
0: She's singing <laughs> do, 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 Evan Ferguson. Cats, <laughs> isn't she?
1: Oh, yes, on that subject, two things. One, my cat is Ginger, so she's probably Irish. And secondly, you said there was a new song, or a fairly new song, at uh, Leicester. Yeah. That?
0: Which we missed, which was, like, I did quite immediately. me, which was Jake... Jamie Vardy, Your Wife is a grass, which I found quite entertaining. Being a simile, I mean, I also think before we get too carried away with Ferguson, and is everything you get carried, with, get carried away with. Can we also get carried away with Matoma as well? He is Oh, just, he's
1: so good, it's ridiculous. He is
0: so good. It's every
1: crazy. Arsenal fan I know is coveting him.
0: Yeah. He is so so, awesome. we need to get a new dealer on his table pretty soon for him if we can, or we're gonna lose him because he is I mean, he, Liverpool, for example, the first half, I felt at the time he was a bit wasteful at times in the final third. And it sounds crazy to say, because we love 1-3-0, but he was the one who was in positions where he didn't take, quite make the most of. But then, yeah, he is... Alexander-Arnold must be having nightmares about the idea of playing on Sunday if if Matoba starts. He's just... they, Yeah, they, they tore him apart down that flank. And he is... Him and... Yeah, his relationship with... Uh, uh, however you pronounce his name, <laughs> I'm terrible at pronouncing for some reason, but, uh, a stupid, a stupignon, or, a a
1: it's
0: not French, is it, yeah, I'm, so, I don't know why, so it's like some sort of like, thing, I can't pronounce his name for some reason, but anyway, their relationship is brilliant down our the left, they're so good, and we've, I felt uh, the Potter at times with lap pace, and those two down the left are br- such, so quick, and so good at like, getting up and down, and yeah, we have a permanent threat down that, that flank, and then yeah, we've I'd argue that actually most of our goals recently have come down the other flank with March and then either Grosh or Veltman or whatever as well. So, I, yeah, we, we've actually... I mean, we're genuinely living in a golden time. I mean, We may look back on this in five, ten years' time from the and go, like, I missed those times, you know, and yeah, we were so good.
1: Well, Peter, this could be slightly disingenuous, but can I just give you a stat here? Evan Ferguson has the highest ratio by quite some margin in terms of his um i think it's his goals per minute. he's goals
0: been, and assists per minute i think he's just behind Haaland in goals but isn't he I
1: yeah goals goals and, goals assist, and yes. assists
0: per minute on the pitch he's i think he's a minute behind Haaland in terms of goals isn't he i thought
1: yeah goals and assists you're right yeah Haaland's basically a minute, uh, ahead he's, ahead of a
0: minute
1: goals. he's selfish
0: <laughs> yeah basically i mean we, wouldn't want to do, we? we've got ferguson
1: he scored five goals, he's got a two point two seven ratio. No,
0: he's, yeah, he scored three assisted two in about two hundred and nineteen minutes or something ridiculously low yeah, like that.
1: Sorry, yeah. And Haaland has a nineteen goal involvement ratio with one point six two
0: ratio. And then you've so been shit really, isn't
1: he? Yeah, and you've got Grencher, Martial, Firmino... For me, no, sorry, Isaac, Tony, Gerhard, all that. Life.
0: Yeah, I mean, players like that, oh, for me, no, to be honest. I'd rather go for Ferguson.
1: <laughs> um, he has got it all, though, hasn't he? Seriously. This is a. Yeah, real... we are getting carried away
0: now. don't <laughs> 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 you know It's the Europa Conference League next year.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm just dispatching the cat out of the room. Not that we're, not this for the amateur or anything, but I had to get rid of a cat during a recording period online. I'm yeah, sure I bet Neil doesn't have to do that.
0: He, 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 they, they're actually very professional, rather than...
1: <laughs> People like Paul Merson and um, Tim Sherwood and Alan Smith, they don't have to deal with this sort of stuff. And yet they are even shitter than we are.
0: And yet, despite That's the so fact hard. we also are drinking while doing this, they still actually talk more shit than we do. I mean, the soon has they still not uh, kind of backed down about why he kind of said he was a, a big risk and that sort of thing, you know.
1: He's not going to apologise because it was too ridiculous. It was too can we, ridiculous.
0: Can we also, do a little bit turn away then from Albion now and talk about the fact that Everton are today or on the verge of appointing their eighth manager in seven years under the Maseri.
1: What could go wrong, Peter? Hmm? What could go wrong?
0: I mean, I think probably it's the best choice, but it's, a, it's such a ridiculous number of managers they've had in that time.
1: Yeah. What? What, what do you think about it all? What, what's your thoughts on it?
0: I think probably it's a, it's a good choice for them. I think it's, it's the best chance of keeping them up, and the best chance of them. they could no way have played that with their defence played Bielsa ball and like pressed high, and they've been absolutely destroyed by teams. It was a bizarre position, and someone was interesting. Someone was saying there was an article in the Metro today where they were saying there's no way Brighton had a shortlist of Bielsa and Dyche where they have such different ways of playing, and you know, kind of how on earth. A, a, any any coherently planned club would never have a shortlist with both Bielsa and Dijon who are basically the exact opposite way of playing. Why, why would you have two different, such different options that you're choosing between? You surely would have people we well, would want to play a certain way or players to play a certain way and you'd bring a manager and you could work with that at this stage. You wouldn't, you know, have two such extremes. And it, But I mean, I think, they, I think because Bielsa's turned them down, probably, they've come across the right one. And I think, that gives them a better chance of staying up than they had. He's, he's a decent option, and you know he he will get them solid. He'll get them kind of like you know, functioning. And frankly, there's that bottom six, seven are all pretty dreadful. So four of them will stay up. So it could just easily be Everton.
1: Yeah, I mean that does give them hope, doesn't it? I think it's still an uphill struggle, but they they have a genuine chance now. Um, and I can
0: understand why Everton fans might not be that impressed with Dice considering you know, Carlo <laughs> Ancelotti two years ago, but. I think, given their situation currently, he is a much better option than Lampard, the keeper, and a much better option than Bielsa, and I, I, I think they should be realistic about it, and he'll get them, de- I mean, they've not to loads anyway this season, but he'll get them defending really well, and they'll nick goals from set pieces, and from, you know, that sort of thing, like he used to do at Burnley, and eventually, and they might win, nick enough 1-0 wins, and one all draws, and 0-0 draws, that they stay up, and you could just imagine with Dyson in charge them winning at the Amex, to be honest, it, it's the sort of thing we do, you know, it's you know, we're very much like against teams managed by Dyche, and are you know, we don't get good results against that sort of manager.
1: Yeah, true. Admittedly, yeah. In,
0: under previous managers of ours, it's not under Deshbey. We haven't played anyone; hasn't played Dyche. But
1: Peter, we're doing a, a transfer special on Tuesday down the pub in Hackney. Uh, so that will be our latest podcast. In the meantime, yeah,
0: keep up in their offer for you, don't they? If I might have heard.
1: Yeah, well, they, they can bid and they can
0: bid. That's £60 million now already. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they can pay what they want for me. I'll happily go. Um, £10 honestly, pounds
0: for the pint of beer and you're like, you're <laughs> off. <laughs>
1: um, the transfer window has turned into a farcical scenario that's got nothing to do with us. We were going to do very little business during the transfer window. We've signed uh, Mr O. Mahoney and we've signed... Jamie Mullins, and we've signed Buenonate, which was tied up from October. Just they formalised the deal. Uh, and that was basically all we were planning to well, do. We're,
0: supposedly signing Yassin Ayari or something, his name is.
1: Yeah, so Yassin Ayari, who's uh, an interesting prospect. Tell us about that. What do, what do you know, Peter?
0: I don't know. I can't say okay Kane to know an awful lot about him. Because he's a prospect in Sweden and seems to be, yeah gone yeah you know, be quite popular and be doing quite well with at his club and it's a very much an Albion sort of uh signing in a sense 19 seems to be regarded as quite a high prospect in Sweden so yeah it's very much a punt that you know has been taking off quite a lot recently
1: the only thing that goes against it is the fact that it's been mentioned before being tied up which suggests it's not helping <laughs> Albion signing isn't it because we we tend to do our business behind closed doors but that's one that has been mentioned, Nicola Zaniola. Uh, that didn't Twitter, sound
0: like anything like any of our business.
1: Twitter, North Stand chat, thirty million plus. That's all the the vibes. Doesn't sound like us, does it?
0: No, it just he's, he's just he's injury prone. He's yeah. I mean, he's fallen out of Mourinho, but then I think most Mourinho falls out with people with a, in a you know somebody can fall out with someone in an empty room sort of thing, isn't he? So that I wouldn't necessarily hold that against him, but. No. Yeah, I think he's yeah not really. We yeah, could Not, not really going to be an option. Matt Vienko is the one who seemed like he might be, but this, we're so far apart in valuation. Well,
1: this, this, this is the one that makes sense because De Zorby has a connection. Yeah. With him. Uh, he's a centre back. Um, he's not the only Shakhtov player that De Zorby has apparently been interested in, but he is 22 years old. He's a but, midfielder. Uh, um, what's his name Artem Bondarenko um, and also Alessandro Biangiorno a left-sided centre-back from Torino have also caught his eye Yeah, and, and I think, I think, I think Fienko is the only one I'll say
0: right. Chayman as well was mentioned this week and again that's not really I'm not sure that's I think he unless, and, unless Solana really was thinking about retiring he might not go for him but I think probably it sounds like from what the said today that we're not gonna bring have anyone in or out this rest of the window for the first team. So Yari might come in for the and it might be like a loan out of the younger players like that, but it won't be like a first team player. I mean I i just fed up with these bloody top six sides. Chelsea starting it, Arsenal fans now getting on a on a you know, the bandwagon as well about Casado and you know, how dare we value him at this sort of money and it's like, Well, but one person compared it to modern day slavery and it's like it, and this obsession that he's on three and a half grand a week as well. It's like, it's <laughs> clearly not on three and a half grand a week. Anyone with half a brain can work out. And then people go, like, oh, well, his transfer value on transfer market website is like, like £2.50. We should sell him for that. It's like, well,
1: piss off. What Arsenal and Chelsea fans need to know is that, A, they're entitled arseholes. B, we are not going to sell for less than a very inflated... Normal figure, yeah. so I think I worth probably 75 to 80 grand. I think million, not counts is worth at least 65 as well. We're, we're, we're not going to sell them for less than 100 grand. Uh, sorry, 100 million. I think if we're
0: offering for 100 grand. We have a lot of
1: offers, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yes, I, I might put an offer
0: myself in actually and then just send it to, to the highest bidder. Just like, basically, just like borrow off some sort of random bank and then just like take it and kind of.
1: But but isn't it wonderful to see it all unfold? All all of these fans of the greedy six clubs going. Oh, M- 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 Mitama's a good player, isn't he? Oh, Sanchez.
0: Well. I have to say, they you can't reach out include Arsenal. Arsenal fans have been through a lot. They they came like seventh one year, and it's been a really tough time for them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you bitch! However. However, I've got you, you do that
0: You see on Twitter about them, like, oh, oh, yeah, we've had a, you know, we deserve to win the league this year because we've had a really tough time over the last few years. Like, you have no idea what, I mean, you've got no idea about what life is a really tough time anyway. But in football terms, you literally haven't got a clue.
1: <clears throat> yes, but then, then you've got to feel sorry for them, haven't you, Peter? Because some of them haven't had a trophy for two or three years. No,
0: it must be tough. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: We haven't had a trophy since 1910. Sussex Senior Cup.
1: <laughs> no, we've we've had a few trophies, they're all localised. But uh, anyway, um,
0: or, or like lower league titles whatever, like League One or League Two. But yeah, I just I just find the whole big fix. and Chelsea just seemed that an obsession with like, attacking us. I don't know if his poster's pissed off about the fact that he got he got a reception he did or what it is, but they just seem determined to like completely destroy our, you know, kind of all the work we've done. And
1: it, well, can I just say a few things about Chelsea? First of all, to any anybody from the club who happens to be listening, to any of their fans, can you please one hundred percent and very comprehensively fuck off? I'm sure
0: there's because, loads of listening in.
1: <laughs> we we cannot stand you. You're entitled, you are embarrassingly, embarrassingly deluded in terms of your your perspectives on football, your perspectives on life, in terms of Can I say, though, in terms of a counter?
0: Don't don't say say what you really think, Russ. Don't hold back.
1: I know, I know. I I get accused of being on the fence.
2: If
0: Tom Bowen listening, we shouldn't talk about this really good prospect that we've got called Aaron Connolly. (laughs) Oh, is brilliant. He's going to be the next next Evan Ferguson. Don't buy him for 50 million now and then get the money off him. Seriously, don't do that because that would ruin our chance in the future. So oh, we'd do, not hated, bid. We'd Burley, it. do not bid for £50 million for for um, Aaron Connolly, please. <laughs> <We definitely laughs> I don't, don't, I don't know how our to follow that. Our club. <laughs> I'm more and more convinced by the day that Todd Bowie tried to buy Brighton. Bloom said, fuck off. So he thought you'd buy it bit by bit rather than actually <laughs> buying it like in, in person.
1: Never before has anybody or anyone or any organisation missed the point as much as Chelsea FC. In every single way, they've they've see, they've got the notion that we're well run, and they thought, right, that's good. Let's go for that. And they've systematically gone about doing everything they could to try and exploit what we have to offer, yeah. and missed every single major point along the way.
0: I'm genuinely intrigued why he brought Potter and when standing that sort of thing. If you just going to look at Arsenal going for Mur- Mur- Murdrick and go like. I'm gonna like add twenty million to the price. What is the fucking point of having a scouting network when all your your owner does is look at the paper, see someone's in for someone, and then put twenty million out of them on the asking price. Why have a scouting network? What is the purpose of that?
1: Your owner really
0: throw money at things.
1: Your owner is a part-time FIFA guy. He's gone, oh let's let's do this and that. He hasn't got any idea what he's doing. He no. has no idea at all. And no matter how much he will try to fleece and may succeed in fleecing the Albion, he will miss the main point, which is that we've got a heart and soul, born and bred of our owner chairman, and the vice chairman slash CEO, who are the driving force of this football club. Yeah. And no matter know, how many a, people they a, take that away. System
0: that he's not can't buy. He has a he has a knowledge that he can't buy, and, and no one else can take that away. And that's the thing. Is they. Like, People keep saying where did Brighton keep picking up these players. It is Tony Bloom. It's his knowledge, and he's t- and that's why he's taken us to from where we were when he took over to you know sixth in Premier League, and it's why he's taken USG from like the second division of Belgian football to being they, they won the league last year, despite the weird Belgian system, and a second this season. He he genuinely just knows it, and it's just, and it's no it's no coincidence that the other club run by someone who worked with him are also doing amazingly well in Brentford, despite not who, spending
1: much. money, Who yeah. knew? It's, it's almost it's like down, they know what they're doing.
0: Food. It's all down to him. And it's, yeah, these people, yeah, you know, the scouts come in and, and yeah, winston was did a good job and Ashworth did a good job, that sort of thing. People did, did do a good job. But the, the core of this comes from, this is how we pick up these players. It's not through, you know.
1: And ne- Never mind the Albion. Every time, full, uh, every time Brentford beat Chelsea or someone like that, that's a victory for football. That's a victory for equality, isn't
0: it? And the irony is, you know, both Bonanotte, for example, and kiso not that either of them are yet proven in English football, but both of them... Enkiso,
1: Enkiso. What's the Kiso business?
0: Enkiso, sorry, yeah. (laughs) Both of them did... We tried to sign in one window and then moved to the other window, the next one after and signed them. Yet no one acted in that time. I went and scouted them seeing like, you'd have thought that someone would have gone, well, Brighton are doing really well in South America... Should we go and have a look at this bloke? Because actually, he might be quite good. But no one's done that, and it's I mean, you do wonder what it is. And, it, and they I still don't just...
1: want to take the risks, do they?
0: But I mean, to Man U or Liverpool, how much? I think with Casado, is like five million to Man U, and they were favourites, and they couldn't be asked to deal with the agents and that sort of thing. How much of a risk is Casado at five million to Man U on a five-year deal? Probably on apparently on three and a half grand a week, he's willing to sign. How much no. of a risk is that? It's it's just. And it, we it's laziness continue, on their part. They don't want
1: to do it. We will continue to thrive at their expense.
0: Yeah, I hope they don't change their plans. I mean, there are more teams buying direct South America these days, but a long time English teams didn't, and we were the ones in England who. Benfica. Benfica. And, and that's the other thing I see is Chelsea bad only about Benfica and Brighton being the ones who are ruining football. This is the irony. By demanding these high prices, we're the ones ruining football. So basically, yes, that, that's not Abramovich
1: and Chelsea yeah, at all, is it? It's
0: not Chelsea at all. Who exactly under Abramovich first, and then and now under under boley are completely spending these fees. Chelsea have single
1: handedly ruined football.
0: Yeah, I mean we're, we we can't get Matyenko now because Chelsea have basically thrown so much money at mudrick that Sh- Shakhtar basically can just go the same as we're going basically and being like, well. We basically want, like, a ridiculous amount of money. We're not going to pay it. So we're not going to get Matt Bienko. which it's fine. I have no issue with Shakhtar putting the price up. But that is why we're not – because they basically overspent massively on mudrick compared to what – you know, they already agreed, you about 65, apparently, and Chelsea bid 85, 90 sort of thing. And it's just it, – it, it, basically, you're right. Toad is like a computer game. He's decided he wants to go and spend all this money on a, on a football club and they're basically circumventing financial fair play. They've literally changed the rules around financial fair play and what you can do because they could buy actually, you know, they've literally changed the rules if someone could stop Chelsea doing it. And this is the one reason I wonder if they might actually end up putting an offer in that we can't refuse or maybe we can't refuse this week because they could get Fernandez on a 27-year a deal or something like that that actually moves around it now. They can't do that in the summer. But I wonder if they might spend big on Fernandez or Casado. And I mean, if they offer a hundred million pounds, frankly, we can't turn that down.
1: Yes, amortisation. Do you want? Know they can amortise themselves off to oblivion.
0: But I mean, realistically, the reality is we can't turn a hundred million down. It's it, it is ridiculous about money.
1: Do you think anyone would go to that? Because oh,
0: I mean, Chelsea can't do it in the summer, so they can't do the amortisation in the summer. They have been they they've been the contracts have been limited to five years in the summer, so. If they want one of Fernandez or, or Casado, they've probably got a bid now. I think they'll probably go Fernandez rather than Casado, but I wouldn't rule out a ridiculous bid that they put in. And realistically, Bloom and Bloom can't turn on £100 million because that is ludicrous money. And, you know, hmm. we're not going to go down. We're going to, you know, we'll, we have to accept that. It's, every player has his price, and every club is a selling club in reality in that situation. £100 million is would have seen, and it should never happen. But if Chelsea... Uh, I, I would normally say no way anyone's going to go anywhere near that. But with Chelsea at the moment, and with the fact that they can't do the seven, eight-year deal in the summer, in fairness to the Premier League, they actually have under the FA, they have reacted to this stupid system that Chelsea have done and, and tell them to piss off and actually you can't do it anymore in summer. It's much actually more, you know, much quicker at doing actions than your Premier League are normally doing, actually.
1: Yeah, shame they don't sort out racism issues at football grounds, but they missed... they are
0: sorting of like homophobia though if Chelsea. Were involved.
1: Yes, and so from the summer you can only have five-year
0: five I think, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um. So, which which is good to be so fair. You
0: can imagine Chelsea putting a. I think probably what they'll do is they'll they'll match ask asking twice for Fernandez, probably in reality, but. You can imagine them going absolutely all out on a player and and giving him a ten year contract or something just to piss off the FA and the Premier League and something and barely just oh, to like, stick your fingers up at
1: them. Stand, I cannot stand Chelsea fans. And I've I've looked at them on Twitter. The entitledness and the delusionality, that's not
0: most of the arseholes on Twitter are ones who probably have never been to Chelsea in their life. Or or Fulham where Chelsea actually play or whatever or uh,
1: I just want the very worst for them. I really do. And in terms of this window, in the end, ultimately, Tony Bloom, Paul Barber, they don't want any sales other than the ones they've done, Trossard, or ones that are happy to do, loans of youth players. We we don't want to do any deals with Caicedo, with Sanchez, with McAllister, with Mitoma, with Ferguson, with any anyone else. We just want to carry on as we are. We've got to wait till Tuesday when we have our next podcast to find out what happens on that score. Do you see anything happening? I don't. I honestly don't.
0: I think that's the one question, Mark. Will Chelsea. I mean, they, they can literally can spend literally a don't lot of money. about financial fair play and like that. I could genuinely see them offering 100 million for a player just because it's going to be much harder in the summer because they can't amortise it. So they're going to want maybe want their big midfielder now, and whether that that might be Fernandez, I think probably rather than casedo
1: So they offer they offer a hundred million for Casado. Do we take it? And are you, I think, I think that? we
0: have to. I don't see any way we can turn that down for that a player who totally could break his leg could tomorrow. And, you know, could break his leg tomorrow, or you know, I don't think there's any way you can turn down a hundred million pounds. We can talk about Europe all we want. We can talk about this, we can talk about that, but. It's just ridiculous money and we can't. And the club must have in mind if Chelsea on Monday morning offer £100 million, players they can quickly get in maybe, you know, someone who's quite decent, they could get loan in even all that video for a half season to cover for the fact that we've lost Casado. But in reality, there is, you know, everyone has his price and £100 million is well over Casado's price. Yeah, Much do I we turn them to probably, fuck off
1: at 75 now?
0: Not in the summer, but probably now, yes. Hmm. 75 80 in the summer is probably about right. Uh, but yes in the last day the last few days of the January window when we got a chance to go to Europe yes I would I think if well, you get that's... to 90 it gets more difficult 100 is unturned about. I think probably in, which is definitely a well I've made
1: up <laughs> I love the way you throw these figures around as if we know what we're talking about uh, can but, I, I just... it's just a classic I think you know, there's a, there
0: are there are you know, all these things that Tony Bloom said 100 million he hasn't done because he, he doesn't give values People just bid, and he then said, maybe I'll take it or not, but I think a hundred million I mean that's a ludicrous amount of money
1: can I just say that Sky have completely compromised themselves by wanking themselves off into a stupor about all this transfer speculation it's embarrassing Chelsea and Arsenal and Sky they, you've all embarrassed yourselves over this There'll be people
0: outside the gates of, of, of you know kind of of, of Well, at the the Amex and at the training ground on my Tuesday waiting, going like, you know, (laughs) Brighton's lights are still on. Maybe there's a deal still available.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That might be a thing. It might be. It probably isn't.
0: It probably isn't. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it will happen. And I think if anyone, they go for anyone, I think it'll be Fernandez. I think probably, but they're so crazy in the money they spent, that I wouldn't rule it out. I'm pretty sure they'll have one or two more signings and, you know, the money they spent is... And to me, they've still not got that great a team. They've got a lot of individuals, but they've, they've not really got a great team. And it's so against what Potter is like as well. He likes to develop players and to build on things. And he isn't, you know... I don't understand why they got Potter in as compared to someone like Zidane or like that. If they're just going to throw money around like that.
1: Hmm. Right. Very quickly, Peter, to round off. Kadra, he's been withdrawn from his loan. He's gone to... Birmingham City, he scored on his debut, but it was a four-two defeat. Uh, looking good, they're in complete flux. But what can we say? Blackburn, his former club, um, they had fourteen wins, no draws, and thirteen defeats. That is an insane ratio: fourteen wins, no draws, thirteen defeats. Yes, to be true. Until- until the weekend, yeah, they to be drew. fifth or
0: whatever it was at that point, without with thirteen defeats, yeah, at, after three seven games it was insane. And yes, yeah, so they finally drew, didn't they? at The weekend, I think
1: it's the longest any team has ever gone without drawing a game. Yeah. Amazing! You got you got to ha- hats off to them. That's pretty good. Um, also, Birmingham, we said at home to Preston. Uh, that game was refereed by Rebecca Welsh, the first woman to officiate at that level. What do you think about that? I
0: think, I think I don't think that in any way that it matters whether someone's a woman or a man. It matters whether they're good at refereeing or not. If she's look, if she's good at refereeing, then great. I think it absolutely we, the game is calling out for quality referees and good referees because there aren't that many, frankly. So if if she's good enough to referee at that level, she absolutely should be, and she should be going to Premier League if she get if she does really well there as well, because frankly, there's, a, there's an awful lot of dross reverie-wise in the Premier League, yeah. including Thomas Bramall and uh, Lee Mason.
1: Absolutely. A lot of people spurning about uh, Kaoru Mitoma. Uh, a lot of Arsenal fans think that we, they should have signed him instead of Trossard.
0: Yeah, but it's funny because then... he wasn't available. So just... Yes,
1: I know. It's funny that, isn't it? Uh... It's almost
0: like we wanted to keep the player with better, younger, and had a longer contract. Right. rather it's than like we know other, what we're be here and had a, long, had a shorter contract.
1: It's almost like we know what we're doing. It's, that's an annoying thing of us actually knowing what we're, what yeah. we're doing.
0: I, I wonder whether we might start looking into, you know, into Asian market more. I mean, it's like, obviously, we bought one player directly from, I know we went on loan to Belgium first, but we bought one player directly from there. We can use USG as a kind of like midway if we need to anyway. But I mean, oh, yeah, it's, I love the fact that Matoma, my my, my love. My one fact about Matoma that I love most is that he did a, a degree or did a kind of like... Uh, thesis on dribbling which is absolutely
1: genius <laughs> yeah he did a thesis on, on on dribbling and he did all sorts of studies related to um all sorts of elements to do with the sporting dynamic
0: genius
1: that's, that is just like brilliant call it yeah um i've got to love the guy i absolutely love him one person i don't love is former crawl crawley manager john yams but he is not, I, I say, not a conscious racist. No, of course not. He's he a conscious. Yeah, he he said that um, Asians, Asians, <clears throat> who um, who have, um, I, I don't know, what, I don't know what to say here, Peter. I'm, I'm being overcome with disgust. Uh, apparently, he's not a conscious racist, but he said that um, Caribbeans like jerk chicken, even though they're from Africa. Uh, he said that... Um, um, Why did he say that?
0: What, what what conversation was he having when that came up? Well,
1: <laughs> it's not yes. like they're
0: going to ask him an interview before the game or something about that.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, he, he essentially said that all people from arabic locations were bombers uh he he was separating black and white factions within his rest, dressing room um
0: you see since that, that sort of thing i understand that it could happen in football in terms of like it's terribly wrong but obviously it's linked to football the comments he made what what where is he making them why is he talk, saying these things even if he thinks them, which he obviously shouldn't do, why is he saying them? Who's he saying them to?
1: Yeah, he kept going about years, jerk what? chicken. So yeah. well, you boys like jerk chicken because you're from Africa. That's a Jamaican thing. What? Oh. what? Yeah. what? Why? <laughs> Where did jerk chicken come in
0: conversation at training or whatever? I mean, what what is it that... I mean, yeah, he's obviously a pretty awful bloke. I mean, their findings were a joke that he wasn't like kind of... He's, he's very lucky to get away with the ban he did, wasn't he, basically? And I think he's appealing that or has done hasn't he? or something like that. And he's very lucky to get away with it.
1: How can you define someone who says that people who are of Asian origin who have bags are bombers and then you can't say that is a racist or... A...
0: No, exactly.
1: <sighs> Just It defies belief. Conscious racism. What does that mean?
0: I mean if he didn't if he if he didn't realise it was racist then frankly he's pretty stupid, but he obviously did. Having yeah. said that, Wayne Hennessy's still playing and you know
1: <laughs> Oh yes. Mr Mr. Hennessy. You gotta love him, aren't you?
0: So uh you know, I I won't I won't take go any further into that comment. But... Yes,
1: yeah, so on that matter I think we must close events. I think is there anything else to mention? Peter, have you got any more business to attend to?
0: Uh, no, that's like yeah, obviously a few managerial changes. I think I think the Serb is at about sixty three or four now in the managers list. Out
1: ninety two, that's out ridiculous. of like ninety
0: two since since October or September. Oh, yeah,
1: managerial changes. So uh, the Cowley brothers have been sacked from Portsmouth. And they Joe, in,
0: uh, John yeah. they brought in Russinio, not to be confused with Mourinho. Yep.
1: Yeah. What else has happened? Who else? Uh, happened?
0: Cardiff have got a new manager. Sabri, or at least he was going to be appointed. I didn't see if he actually got confirmed. But Sabri Lamushi, they they they've appointed two managers already this season. So they're, trying to ma- they're trying to match Watford, basically. Um, and who else was there this week? Uh, Forest Green. Big Dunk is at Forest Green. Yes. I'm looking forward to Bristol Raiders game for them because him and Joey Barton could be quite an entertaining combination on the touchline. <laughs> Big Dunk and Joey Barton. It might be one game actually Joey Barton doesn't mouth off actually because he has like Big Dunk looking down at him. A man who's actually served time in Barlini Prison, doesn't he? Or something like that at one point. Did, did Duncan Ferguson he served time in?
1: Yes. Yes, I think so. And
0: There's, two, there's two D. Ferguson's in now managing in uh, in, in League One because Darren's back at Peterborough in his general kind of like in-out thing with, um, yeah, with Grant McCann who's also been there twice now, hasn't he? Basically kind of like revolving door between them, aren't they?
1: Yeah, fourth time he's been in charge. Is he, is he one
0: behind Martin Allen at Barnett or is he level with Martin Allen at Barnett? I can't remember how many times he managed Barnett.
1: I think Martin Allen was five, five. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's Yeah, he's got to quit and come back again.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he can manage it. I'm sure he can. I
0: mean, he's still got time, you know, why not? Give it a go. Go for the record. <laughs> that must be a record. I mean, I can't believe five times that one club isn't a record.
1: Probably not, probably not. Well, Peter, I finished off a whole bottle of wine. You've had some beers. We've talked about the game. We've talked talk to Neil. Uh, let's have a quick prediction ahead of the, the game with Liverpool. Um, we, we got the better of them with a 3-0 win. That was fantastic. However, I'm not so confident in this game. I think we're going to lose 2-1. What do you think?
0: I'm going to be positive and go for a, a goal... Goals, kind of go, a game with goals, but go three-two, closer than last time, but we win yeah. still.
1: I like it. I like it. And just on the final note, uh we are. I'm on eighty-nine out of ninety-two.
0: All right, it's not competition.
1: <laughs> You're on eighty-eight out of ninety-two. You have Wimbledon to do, yeah. and then we both have. I was Harrogate. going to go to the
0: midweek, but they got called off by the frost and the Exactly. weather.
1: We we both have Harrogate barrow and fleetwood to do harrogate might go down we're not sure we're not sure but we're going to do it either this season or next season but you're going to a game tomorrow aren't you
0: i am i'm going to a glorious uh battle of the relega- of relegation rivals in the-, the conference south between Hungerford and chippenham
1: lovely great great choice great choice
0: only an hour from paddington so it's not too bad
1: yeah not too a bit bad
0: of excitement you know Yep, I'm due much. at one point I'm due at like a, you know these games you see in like National League South and it League been like a 5-4 or something like that one day I'll see a 5-4 probably won't be tomorrow but
1: I I want I, I want to encourage you Peter but I think it's a long way to go so you
0: other a big question it's kick the kickoff has already happened now who's going to who do you want to win out of Arsenal soon as we go through who do you want to win out of Arsenal and Man City
1: Arsenal I think we could beat them.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think City have got some sort of like hold over us generally yeah. Whereas, and, whereas and I, I'd be more confident against Arsenal. Especially as Arsenal actually will want to win the league as well, so they want to focus on that. I'd
1: be distracted and I feel there's more aura that we've yeah. got over them.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. I think I, I would say that. and trust starting. Note,
1: on that note, Peter, shall we sign out by saying Stand or Fall? Up uh, the Albion.